good at his job. And he reminds me so much. I'm assuming you're at least somewhat familiar with The Office, the show. Oh, yeah. I love that show. Okay. So he reminds me a lot of Michael Scott. And a few, ah. a few years ago, I created a game online where it was, who said this, Michael Scott or Josh Pastner, the definitive quiz. So we're going to play that game with you coming up uh, oh, in good. the second segment today. And it might be better. Like Trevor played it last year. He didn't do that well. It's it's tougher than you think, even if you know a lot about Pastner or Michael Scott or both. And you not being a, a guy who's overly familiar with Pastner, I think you're the perfect specimen for this to be tried out on. Did Trevor do well last year when you played it? He did okay, but not not like great. I mean, Is he a big Office fan? I, he's an Office fan, but he's not like a, a fanatic. Oh, but I've, still. I, su I subscribed to Peacock just so I could watch it again. There you go. So you, you'll probably pick up on some of the, the, the Scott quotes. There's There are a few layups in there, but it's... I, I have yet to see people have played it in the comment section. People have played it on Twitter. I have yet to see anybody who's gotten a perfect 20 out of 20 score. Which You're not going to use the quote, that's what she said, are you? I will not. That will not be on there. That's, Pastor that's too, would never say that. That's too easy. It's too sexual for Josh. He's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, too, it's too risque for Josh Pastor. That's, that's where he and Michael Scott uh, divulge a little bit. We're going to take text from you as well, uh, as always, on the Thornton's text line. Hit us up at 502-414-1450. And a reminder that Thornton's is hooking up new Refreshing Rewards program members with a free breakfast sandwich and a free drink of their choice. All you have to do is download that Refreshing Rewards app, Find it. Go to your app store, search it out, search Thornton's. It'll pop right up. If you're a new member to the program, you're going to get a free breakfast sandwich and a free drink. And if you're not a new member, you're already reaping the benefits. You're already saving money at the pump. You're already saving money inside at any one of the 84,617 area Thornton's locations. They know what they're doing. That's why there's so damn many of them. And then when you're done downloading the app, text us at 502-414-1450. All right, we'll, we'll jump right into it. Louisville, Georgia Tech tonight. It's a 7 o'clock tip at the KFC Yum Center. And this is this is as low as it gets from an objective standpoint. This is, if you're looking at ACC basketball, I'm not sure that we've ever had a, a game in the history of this conference. If you go back, I know Ken Palm only came around in 2001. But if you could take Ken Palm and extend it back to the, 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 the beginning of the ACC, I would be willing to bet that you've never had a matchup in the history of this league with a higher combined Ken Palm rating than tonight's game. According to the metric, and a reminder, quick refresher, there are 363 teams in Division One. A lot of teams in this sport. Louisville, the good news is we're not in the bottom 300 anymore. We're not in the 300s. The bad news is we're 299. Louisville is the 299th ranked team, according to Ken Palm. They are 336 in the net. Georgia Tech on Ken Palm, 198. We came damn, damn near close to having a matchup between a Ken Palm 200s team and a Ken Palm 300s team, which has never happened in the history of power conference basketball since this, since, since this was a thing. Georgia Tech is 1-10 in the conference. Louisville is 0-10 in the conference. That is a combined record, quick math here, not our strong suit on the show, but is a combined record of 1-20 in the ACC. Georgia Tech's only win in conference play, shockingly, is over one of the best teams in the conference. It was a home win over Miami, 76-70 to back on January 4th. They were not impressive in the non-conference portion of the season. They were more impressive than Louisville was, but lost to Utah, lost to Marquette, lost to Iowa, lost to basically every decent team they played, besides Georgia, who they beat by two in a rivalry game. Outside of that, really no wins to write home about this season, but eight total wins, which is four times as many as Louisville has. Here's where I, I think here's where I think you can find confidence as a Louisville fan, because the, the, the spread is still Georgia Tech by two. Louisville is still an underdog in this game despite playing at home against a team that is 1-10 in conference play, which, once again, a reminder of where we are right now. If you needed 
a millionth plus one. Louisville has at least been semi-competitive in their last several ACC losses. They've lost all of them by double digits, but 14 to Notre Dame, 10 to Boston College, 21 to Pitt wasn't competitive, 21 to North Carolina wasn't competitive, 13 to Clemson, 8 to Wake Forest. Georgia Tech has not been competitive at all recently. And as bad as they've been this season, they come into Wednesday night playing their worst basketball of the year. And it's not even close. They've been blown out by average teams. Think about Syracuse. The one team that you look at in the schedule and say Louisville should have won that game. You can say they they should have won each of the first three, but if you're talking about power conference opponents, Louisville had the Syracuse game. They let it slip away. They lost by one. They were the better team for 39 and a half minutes, and they just didn't make the plays down the stretch. Should have won that game. That same Syracuse team went to Atlanta and beat Georgia Tech by 17 just 10 days ago. Clemson, a team that I've been adamant. I'm telling you, a slide is coming with that Clemson team. They're going to regress. I think they showed that last night. They lost to Boston College by eight. They've played above their heads this entire season. Those shooting percentages are going to go down. They're not as good as the record would indicate. That same Clemson team, which we were competitive against when we played them, they beat Georgia Tech by 21 just a week ago. And then Duke over the weekend, a Duke team that you know the talent level, but you also know their struggles this season. They are not a top 25 team. They are not, it seems, a legitimate national title contender. That same Duke team went to Atlanta and they beat Georgia Tech by 43 over the weekend, Saturday. 86 to 43, doubled them up. Take all this into account and then also add in the fact that Lance Terry, senior guard, who is a primary contributor for Georgia Tech, may not be playing tonight again. And I think there's a recipe there for an upset. It feels weird saying after all those stats and, and noting that Georgia Tech is 1-10 that we would actually be upsetting them on our home floor, but that's exactly the situation here. Georgia Tech... I say all this knowing full well that we are worse than them when it comes to any statistical evaluation. Georgia Tech is a team that does not do anything particularly well. They don't. They don't have dynamic scoring. They are a poor shooting team across the board, and I mean that in every possible sense. They shoot 31% from three. That's 313th best in the country. They shoot 47% from two. That's 299th best in the country. They shoot 69.3% from the free throw line. That is 252nd best in the country. They are a bad shooting team if you leave them alone in the gym with nobody defending them. They are not a good shooting team. They should not light you up. We are a bad defensive team. We give up wide open shots. That may not kill us against a team like Georgia Tech as long as those shots are from outside and not right around the rim. Cannot give up layups. Cannot let them beat you back door. Cannot give away turnovers that lead to fast break points. Make this team earn baskets. That is Key number one, two, and three for Louisville tonight. Georgia Tech takes care of the ball okay. They don't turn it over as much as we do. They also don't force many turnovers. They're a good defensive team. They're, well, I, I shouldn't even say that. They're a better defensive team than they are an offensive team, but they're not as good as they have been recently. They don't force a ton of turnovers. They don't create a lot of steals. They do block a decent amount of shots. If you remember Georgia Tech last year, and why would you? I, I, I'm, if you don't, I don't. I'm not faulting you. But if you do, Georgia Tech last year had very little size. They lost Moses Wright from the year before. They lost their starting center last year to injury. They weren't a rim-protecting team. So Pastner, as coaches tend to do, he changed. He said, we're going to get out of our 
you know, sit back, let the offense come to us defense. We're going to try to create turnovers. We're going to gamble. We're going to take chances. They forced a lot of turnovers. They gave up a lot of wide open looks as a result. This year, it's the opposite. They do've got, they do have some rim protectors. They don't have a lot of athleticism. They don't take chances. They don't create turnovers. They want to force teams to beat them from the outside. They're a good three-point percentage defense. They're allowing opponents to shoot just 31.1% from three. They're not as good defending the two because they don't give up as many twos. They're a good shot blocking team. Basically, they're going to sit back and say, we're going to dare you to beat us from the outside or we're going to dare you to challenge us at the rim. It will be a test for Louisville on offense tonight. It should not be much of a test for them on defense, but it will be a test for them on offense tonight to make the right decisions to, when LLs gains an advantage, make the right choice because they will come over to help and they have shot blockers at the rim. If you can finish, get all the way there. If you're stopped, you've got to make the right pass and you can't try to pass it right into a 6'11 dude who's coming over to help and turn the ball over. Louisville cannot turn the ball over tonight. The entire profile of Georgia Tech, once again, is not impressive. They're not good. They're playing as poorly as they have all season. And I think the one element that sets them a little bit apart from Louisville right now, I think they're all very aware that they're playing for a lame duck head coach. It seems far more likely than not that this is going to be Josh Pastner's final season with the Yellow Jackets. You've got a lot of guys on this team that have been in the program for a couple of years. Their best contributors, most of them, are guys that have been in the program for one, two, three seasons. They don't have a whole lot of transfers. They probably should have gotten more if they wanted to be more competitive this year. The roster does not look good. They, like us, swung and missed a bunch in the portal, uh, had some guys leave they weren't expecting. They have Their best contributors are guys who basically played sparingly last year and have gotten a little bit better this year. When that's the case, then you know your head coach is leaving after a couple of really bad seasons. I think it's pretty easy to fold your tent. The difference with Louisville, I mean, Louisville, nobody knows what's going on with Kenny Payne. It seems like the players still want to play for him. There's been no open, you know, mass exodus. There's been no open rebellion. There's been no voicing of displeasure, whether it's in front of the media or on social media about the coaching. It seems like Louisville still wants to win games for the most part. I thought that they, you know, they've played badly in recent weeks, but for the most part, they they play hard. They, they There were some stretches against Notre Dame where I did not think the effort level was there. I thought against Boston College, again, they didn't play well at all, but I thought they were engaged, and I thought for most of the game, there was effort there. They, they really, they looked like they wanted to win. That has not been the case with Georgia Tech their last five games. They look like they're going through the motions. They look like they're ready for this thing to be over. That's where I think Louisville has the advantage. They want, they care about losing a little bit more than Georgia Tech does, which in my eyes is going to get them ACC victory number one tonight. And let me say this. We had the topic discussion yesterday of if you had to bet every single one of your assets, all of your money on the question of whether or not Louisville wins one more game this season, where are you going? And I lean towards yes. But if Louisville loses tonight and kind of looks like they don't care and it kind of comes, I don't want to say easily, but somewhat easily for Georgia Tech, I'm shifting my answer. If they can't get it done tonight or if they're not, if it's not one of those games like Syracuse where we say, they had it, they should have won, they just don't know how to finish, something like that. If it's more, Tech was just the better team, they took it to us, we lose by 8-10, to 10, I'm changing my answer. Because if you can't get this team on this night, you ain't getting anybody else in this conference. 
Georgia Tech, I know we said this like the last three games record-wise, but profile-wise, eye test-wise, and now record-wise, Georgia Tech is the worst team in this conference besides us. There's, They were supposed to be the clear 15th best team in the league going into the season. They're finally looking like maybe the worst team in the league, again, besides us. And they've been playing worse than we have the last week and a half, the last two weeks. If you can't get them now, where all hope is lost, guys are hurt, guys seem to be quitting. I mean, their best player this season, they, they've only got one player who's averaging double figures in scoring on the year, and it's uh, it's Miles Kelly, who's a sophomore who played last year. Didn't play a whole lot. But Miles Kelly is kind of emblematic of their entire team. He came out, was playing above his game for the first two months of the season, shot at a very high level from three, was scoring about 18 points per game, was filling up the stat sheet. He's been downright bad during this this, this current seven-game losing streak that they have. He scored in double figures one time in their last five games, and this is after he scored in double figures in all but one of their first 16 games. He is seven for 32 from three over that same span. He's just not looking like the same guy, doesn't have the same bounce, doesn't have the same energy, and that's a lot of guys on their team. They had no double-figure scorers in the loss against Duke. They just seem like a team that's ready to get this over with. And you can say the same thing about us. I fully understand that. But at least for stretches, we look like we care. We look like we are going to feed off the fans a little bit when we play at home. We look like we want to stop having all the chatter about how bad we are and all the historic stats and all that stuff. And maybe that makes the difference tonight. But if they don't get it done, don't expect me to be out here picking them to win again. This is the this is the lie. I am putting myself out there in a way that I haven't since the Florida A and M game when I guaranteed victory. I have guaranteed since then that Louisville will win at least one more game. I'm not guaranteeing that the wins tonight, but I am saying I think they win. I'm picking them to win. If they don't, I might stick with the overall guarantee because I made it. I'm not taking it back, but I don't think that I'm picking them in an individual game the rest of the season. Get it done tonight, boys. This reminds me. A little bit of the the Louisville-Syracuse football game in Craig Thorpe's uh, last year where we were clearly terrible. Syracuse was clearly as bad, if not slightly worse. And the worst football game that Cardinal Stadium has ever seen was played. We won on a missed extra point, which felt fitting. This feels like that type of game. That was the lowest of lows when it came to football. This is probably even lower in basketball. Somebody pointed out yesterday, Steve Craig Thorpe's worst season we won four games. We may not win four games this year when we're playing almost three times as many games in a basketball season, but he won that conference game against Syracuse. I think we can win this conference game against Georgia Tech. Also, let's not over- gloss over the fact we've owned these guys. Louisville's won 12 of the last 13 meetings with Georgia Tech. We've lost just once to the Yellow Jackets since 1997. We've kind of owned Josh Pastner. Pastner was 2-2 two and two against us when he was at Memphis State. One and seven against us at Georgia Tech. We are ten and one against these guys since joining the ACC in 2014-15. Although of those ten wins, five have been decided by four points or fewer. The most recent game, and I'd kind of forgotten a little bit about the ins and the outs of this game. We played them in the ACC tournament last year. Let us not forget we won a game in the conference tournament last year, and it was glorious. I went back and I watched the highlights. 
I'd forgotten just how fired up the team was in that game. And if you if you don't believe me, go back and watch the highlights. I posted them on Twitter. I posted them on the, the, the game preview on Car Chronicle, too. We came out, like, the bench was going nuts. We, we led by 30. Now, we almost blew the game. We were up by like 30 in the second half, and Tech got it down to five in the closing minutes, and Jared West saved the day with a couple of, of deep threes in the last two minutes. But, like, those players were going nuts. The coaches were going nuts. The bench, every we, we, there's a big dunk by Malik Williams. The bench, like, loses its mind. Guys who weren't even playing. Matt Cross, I don't think, got in the game. He's going nuts on the bench. L. Ellis is going nuts on the bench, slapping chairs. It was it was what I think we thought we would see from this team this season. Maybe not good. Maybe not as talented as, as the program should be. But into every game, acting like it means the world to them willing to, to go out there and die for a Cardinal victory. I think we we thought we would see that same level of desperation from this team this entire season. We haven't seen anything close to that. Go watch the highlights. Go watch the video. The bench has never looked anything remotely like it did in that game last year with a team that, again, knew it wasn't going to keep the coach it was playing for. A lot of the players knew they weren't going to be there past that week in Brooklyn. And still, they gave a 40-minute effort that we haven't seen from this team one time this year. Not a, a complete effort like that. They didn't play great, but they won a game by 10 against a conference opponent that's, look, that Georgia Tech team last year is better than this Georgia Tech team this year, and they're certainly better than we are this year. And then they only lost by one the night uh, the night after against Virginia in a game that they very easily could have won. If, that, if this team this year had played with that same fire, and last year's team didn't bring that fire every game, I'm not trying to say that, but in those two games in the ACC tournament, they absolutely did. If we could have just played that hard every game this year, no doubt in my mind we have at least, I don't know, six, seven, eight wins. Not up to par with our standards, for sure, but certainly better than all the record-setting ineptitude that we've seen already this year. And that's, look, another record's on the line tonight. Louisville's 2-19. They've lost 20 games in a season exactly once in the 110-year history of the program. A loss tonight guarantees the second 20-loss season. And it guarantees it on February 1st when you still have a more than a month to play. Let's avoid that for as long as possible. Get a win tonight. See what happens against Florida State on Saturday. Put off history for as long as you can. But do I have a lot of faith in their ability to do that? Of course not. But I'm still picking it. I'm still predicting it. We'll do a score predictions 5 o'clock hour, end of the show. But I've got faith for now. If you have faith, let us know. 502-414-1450. A couple of quick texts before we take a break. I do want to play uh, the Jeff Brown press conference from National Signing Day in the second segment because I got to hear some of it. I didn't get to hear all of it. I do want to hear his comments, and football is certainly far more exciting and thrilling than basketball is right now. Texas says, thoughts up for the big guy. Yeah, we need TK. I don't know exactly what he's dealing with right now. I don't think he knows exactly what he's dealing with right now, but he's definitely in some pain. If it, if it forces... TK to seek medical help, then you know that he's in a lot of pain because Trevor will just tough stuff out. He's, he's not going to see a doctor unless he absolutely has to, and hopefully he's doing doing better right now. Texas says, Ryan, I'm, I'm concerned about double jeopardy. Michael, I'm not sure you know how jeopardy double jeopardy works. Okay, Ryan, what is jeopardy? That's, if Josh Pastor had a friend named Michael or Ryan, you could see him saying one of those two lines for sure. Texas says, if GT waxes us by 20-plus tonight on our home floor, will you say on air that it might be time to move on from pain at the end of the season? I mean, I've said that already. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know why you're asking me to, to repeat. Everyone's like, why don't you say it? Why don't you say it? I'm like, I'm saying the same thing I've said for the last three months. Texas says, pray for me. I'm actually going tonight. Props to all the fans that are going to this game. 
I've it's never a good sign when you have like ten people offering you tickets tonight, and that's what's happened to me. It's like a lot of people are just like, I've got I got four tickets here. Do you want to? I'm like, I I can't make it, but I would assume it's not going to be an overly lively KFC MC tonight. But here's the thing about the crowds this season: say what you will about the way it looks on TV, say what you will about the actual attendance numbers. I mean, we all know that you know they'll have an announced attendance of eleven thousand or whatever, and that's because they they'll count season ticket holders. They don't count the turnstiles. The turnstiles have probably been closer to like. 4,500, 5,000 for some of these games. But the fans who are there are overwhelmingly positive. You haven't had you haven't had boos. There's been some some murmurings at times. But for the most part, the fans that go to these games, they just want Louisville to win. And they're fully behind them, and they're loud. And you can hear that it, it shines through on TV. I fully support that. Like the, 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 you can't tell me there's not at least some home court advantage for Louisville. Is it like the old days? Of course not. But... It's not like the fans who aren't there in these close games aren't trying to will this team to victory. I think that'll be the, the, the same will be true tonight. As upset as we all are, as bad as this game is, and this is, God forbid, if we ever see another game inside the KFCM Center pitting us against a conference opponent where the combined record is 1-20+. plus. As bad as this setup is, the fans who show up tonight will still be in full throat, they'll still be supportive, and they'll still make a difference. And I hope I hope they lead us to, a, to to victory number one tonight. Texas says, do we think that KP and staff are struggling with positive traction uh, on upcoming portal guys now that we're hearing of at least one more NBA Academy dude sending this program into the abyss? I mean, I, I I've said this on the show. Like th- this is we I'm telling you right now, that another NBA Academy guy is coming. And the the texture names him. I don't know if that's out there, but that texture that is the name that is the player that I'm hearing is coming, and I've heard for a week and a half now that it's coming. He's another power forward. I don't know if that, I don't necessarily know that it means anything other than KP likes him, wants to bring him into the program, thinks he can make a difference. I don't know if it means that he doesn't feel confident about his ability in the transfer portal or with the upcoming recruiting class. I don't, I can't tell you. Texas says, Hey Mike, I heard someone broke into your car today to put in two tickets for tonight's Louisville game. No. Thank you. I did. I mean, oh, that's a classic old joke there. Yeah. I mean, the, the jokes, I, I felt bad for the, the UofL social media person. I felt bad for the UofL social media people all season long because they've got to post stuff. People are like, why are you posting this win games? And this poor guy is just like, I, I've i got to quote it to hit. I've, I've got to post these. Videos. And so last night it was, or Monday night, it was Kenny Payne show at Roosters. One lucky attendee is going to win two free tickets to the Georgia Tech game. And I mean, the, the person on social media absolutely knows when they post this what every single response is going to be and sure enough you go through and it's like they should you know they should take them away they should give away the tickets for the winner they should you know they should give everybody free tickets it was just some variation of the same joke and it's it, you know i i get why people are making it but the person's just trying to do their job and after every game just posting the final score people are just like how about you stop posting graphics and you start winning the game this guy you know it's like when people yell at you for dumb, like I'm not, I'm not shooting. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to score points. Um, Texas says, legit. That's what happened to me. The person who's going to the game tonight and said, "Pray for me." I happened to be in the office and was like, "Bleep it! I'll take the free tickets." Well, there, there you go. Support the team. Be, be excited. We may win a game tonight. Texas, I have season tickets and I've been to every game except for WKU and FAMU. Do I go tonight or no? No. Of course. I mean, is that a question? 
You've not attended the only two games that we've won this season. What's wrong with you? How have you not tried this theory out before? Now, have you gone to? Have you not gone to other games that we've we've lost as well? I need to know. If you are the reason why we're two and nineteen, then heads need to roll. Texas says no need for guards just yet. LMAO. I yes, we 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 need some guards. Texas says this show just talked me out of betting Georgia Tech by asking many points as it would let me to take. So if we get blown out, you cost me a few bucks. I'm sorry. I. I'm not, I'm not telling you what to think. I'm telling you what I think. Um, Texas says they should have Jack Harlow and MMJ do pre and post U of L basketball game concerts in the Yum to bring back slash keep fans at games. Well, that's going to cost you a pretty penny. I think we used up our Jack Harlow allowance on Louisville Live, which we have not reaped the benefits of just yet, but we got in there. Hopefully it will lay the groundwork for some success in the future. Texas, nope. The, the texture who missed the those two games says, nope. The, legit, the only two games I've missed are the, no, you can't go. If you've gone to every game besides the only two that we've won this season, you can't go tonight. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if this was going to be a big night out for you. Got to watch for moments we win. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get into National Signing Day stuff. We'll talk about Jeff Brom, his comments, and we'll let you hear from him. Love the theme, Gary. Well done. Keep it locked right here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. It just makes me happy. Hearing the song just makes me happy. It's a, it's a nice little, you know. That is a nice little theme song. It's a, I heard a lot. There's a a big thing, at least during the pandemic it was, where people would clear their anxiety by watching like one episode of The Office before night. And I can see how that would that would work. I can see how that would affect people. I've been driving my wife crazy lately. I've been binging um, <laughs> Comedy Central South Park. I So it's been on a lot recently at night. And like uh, – the usual shows that I would watch before bed have not been on, so I have been flipping it on at like eleven thirty midnight and just watching. It's it's most of the old episodes that right. I remember watching. I've been doing the same thing, and my wife will not watch it. So Some of the old episodes are really good. They are really good. They're yeah. also stuff that you probably could not get away with right now. But, no, <laughs> but still, it, there's a little nostalgia there and a little like genuine humor. I enjoy it. It's, and I've been watching fun. it on HBO Max, so there's. Uh, the language no. is salty. <laughs> See, but sometimes, sometimes Trevor and I have talked about this. Sometimes I think it's funny where they have the bleep out. Like sometimes, like when they you hear them actually say the words, I'm like it's not as funny as it is with the bleep. Like it just it loses the effect a little bit. But what are you going to do? All right, uh, Jeff Brom talked to the media today. It was National Signing Day. He talked about the the, the recruits that he brought. He's brought in since the last signing day, and also rounding out the coaching staff. I heard a little bit of it. I didn't hear the whole thing, so I want to hear it just as much as you guys. So we're going to go ahead and play this for you guys in full. This is Jeff Brom talking to the media today on National Signing Day. Well, another signing day, and uh, you know, obviously the first signing day is the uh, really the big one where you spend a lot of time uh, recruiting guys all year long and trying to convince them to come be a part of your program and uh, help in the success of building a championship-level team. And uh, today, um, you know, there's... It's been a good day as well. So I think since last signing day until now, you know, we've had some some additions that uh, we think will help our team. Uh, you know, receiver position, we've added uh, Kevin Coleman and Jamari Thrash. We really like out of the transfer portal. Uh, I really feel like there's all dynamic players that can help us uh, you know, make big plays and score touchdowns. We're excited about them at the running back position. 
Isaac Garendo. Uh, we feel like it's a big, strong back that could complement the others that we have and add to our depth in the backfield and, and hopefully make some plays for us. Uh, the tight end position, uh, Jamari Johnson uh, was not signed by the time we talked last year uh, on signing day, uh, but we're excited to get him. He's a big, strong, uh, physical young man that uh, used to play quarterback with the tight end, and uh, we think he'll be a really good player for us. At the offensive line position, we've added an offensive guard and John Paul Flores from Virginia that uh, he's here already. Uh, he's doing a really good job. We're excited to add him to the mix. Uh, at the quarterback position, we've had a Jack Plummer. Who, uh, Jack, uh, we've been fortunate enough to coach. He's played a lot of football. Um, he's smart, he's intelligent, he's athletic, uh, he's a leader, he's a winner. Uh, we think he'll do a great job for us. And then move to the uh, other side of the ball. Um, Marquise Grove Killebrew is a uh, cornerback that we're very excited about. He's got great length, uh, can run. Uh, has some connections here to the city of Louisville uh, as a transfer we think can come in and, and do a really good job for us. Um, at the defensive end position, uh, Stephen Herring, uh, right here from uh, our backyard, uh, really smart uh, young man coming from Stanford. Um, we know a lot about him. Uh, he's a hard worker, he's tough, he's physical, he's gotten better every year, he's put up really big numbers uh, in the Pac-12 and, and done a really good job, so we're excited to have him. And then, at the uh, defensive back slash linebacker position, uh, Gilbert Frierson uh, from Miami, uh, we think fits a uh, <coughs> position for us that we uh, you know, need to add some depth and some bodies, and he definitely can play football, and he can uh, you know, get on the field for us and do some good things. And then from the high school ranks, we've added uh, Joe Crocker, an offensive lineman um, from Nashville that uh, you know, is big and strong and physical, and we like him, and I think uh, you know, he'll come in and do a good job. <coughs> Jeff, how many do you still have some? I know you still have some spots left. I guess first of all, have you ever had gone out of a signing day and had spots left? And, and, and what do you look for now, like in transfers? I guess transfer portal. Well, believe it or not, we have uh, quite a bit of room left, and uh, I'm not used to that. Uh, where I've been, it's been hard to fit guys in into your roster. So we have uh, plenty of room to continue to recruit and continue to add uh, to our team and where we feel, you know positions that can help us. We'll have some time possibly as we're around our team now through workouts, through spring practice, uh, be able to evaluate and see where we're at as well. And all the way up until after spring and in, in the months of May, we can continue to, to add if we need to. Uh, so that'll be, be a constant thing that uh, never ends. And you know, we feel like we've, we've got a, a good eye of what's going on in the future and uh, we should be ready for you know, things to pop if they do, and we think it'll help our team. We'll, we'll definitely, uh, you know, try to add to the mix. Yeah, based on your goals going in, what you needed, you feel like you did fill most of the needs you had? Well, I, I think we've had success. Uh, it's been very successful uh, at, at all the positions. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some really good football players already on this team that have done a great job, uh, you know, as we try to analyze and see where we need to add uh, some people uh, that can help us. I think we've addressed that uh, to a great degree and feel good about the ones that are here and really think we've added some dynamic players at uh, certain positions. And like I said, we'll continue to, to evaluate and, and move forward. And, and uh, you know, like I said, it's a, a, an everyday process with all of our coaches and recruiting staff to make sure that, uh, you know, we have an eye on what's going on and um, 
we need to add some young men to help us win football games if we want to do that. Jeff, has there ever been a more challenging time to build rosters with all that's happening in the game and the transfer portal and that? Well, the rules change every year, and uh, if you sit back and, and uh, think about all the things that are different than what it was in the past, yeah, it can be very challenging. But uh, you know, the way we think of it is those are the rules. You have to adapt yourself and, and move forward. So, um, you know, it's part of the process now, and, you know, we're just getting here. But uh, in general, we want to do a great job with our current players on the team. We want to help develop them to be the very best they can be. They want to, we want to help them achieve their goals. We want to do it the right way. We want to build a relationship. We want to make sure that they trust us and understand we're going to push them and help them you know, get to where they want to get at. And if you do that, normally you know, guys want to stay and continue to play for you. But like everything, there's going to be times where people think there's a better opportunity somewhere else. And you know, we want to respect that and be ready to adjust uh, when that happens. So I think uh, when you come in new, you're going to have probably more movement than you would uh, normally like to have. But at the same time, I do think it's going to become very common here as we proceed forward. And, uh, you know, these guys want to get on the field. They want to play. And if they're not given the opportunity here, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with them to, to look around and see if there's a better option. Jeff, as you mentioned, there's a group already on campus. Um, obviously, that can be a challenging transition for guys that were superstars in high school, getting to college, kind of adapting to their new team, the new coaches and everything. For, in just this short period, what's been your impression on how well they're adapting and, and how they seem around the other guys? Well, I think we got a great nucleus of guys that all get along, and uh, they want to come here with a common purpose of uh, trying to win a championship, achieve their goals, become great at what they do. Uh, get a great degree and hopefully get a chance to play at the next level. And I think that uh, as coaches, we're going to be committed to helping them do that. Uh, I think we have a staff that, that uh, loves to coach and loves to develop and loves to win. And, and uh, you know, we want to try to do it year one. And that means we're going to have to work hard at it. And our players are going to have to, you know, learn uh, what we're doing as fast as they can, get out there on the field and execute. But a lot of times, uh, you know, these guys are passionate about what they do. And if we can provide them a a platform to, you know, be their best, uh, and they feel good about uh, working hard and competing and uh, striving to win big football games. Uh, hopefully, we can get that done. So I, I like the nucleus of the guys right now, and um, you know, I think they're doing a really good job uh, at workouts and, and getting, getting better each and every day. You mentioned Jamari. Um, obviously, he's only having around two-ish seasons playing tight end. What's impressed you the most about him and his ability to just move positions and you know have the success that he's had? Well, Jamar is a big uh, athletic young man, and uh, that's uh, a plus. Um, I think he can grow to be a very strong physical tight end with great receiving skills and ability to stretch the field. He's got really good hands. Uh, for the tight end position, any, any position on the offense defense line, it's a little bit of adjustment just to get used to the size and physicality of the college game. So, That'll happen a little bit, but uh, you know we're going to push the envelope and um, you know get him out there as much as we can this spring and let him learn uh, as fast as he can. If he's ready to go, he'll be out there playing. Coach, you mentioned you still have some spots open. Is there a specific room or group that you're looking to add depth to with those scholarships you have left? Well, I think that. Uh, 
you know, always on the offensive and defensive line, you're keeping your eyes and ears open just to uh, make sure you, you have enough um, physical bodies there to uh, be able to compete at a high level. A lot of times, in my opinion, difference in the championship teams winning and champion and other teams not is up front. Uh, so we want to always keep our eyes for that. But you know what? Uh, you know we want to continue to recruit the linebacker position. Make sure we have enough guys there to compete uh, in the secondary. Uh, I feel good where we're at, but we have some injuries that we're getting short up. That'll take a little time, so we may be short in the spring. I think we addressed the receiver position and, and added depth there. And um, you know we'll always look at you know tight end as a unique position, so we're we'll always looking just see if there's a veteran that can you know come in and add to the mix. Uh, if there's not, that's fine too. We'll make it work and. Uh, you know, probably those are the, the main spots right now. But in general, uh, our philosophy is that there's a great player out there that we think can help the team in any position wide Yeah, first time we've seen you since the schedule was released. Uh, just your reaction to the schedule uh, and the Georgia Tech game being moved up a day. Uh, you, you got four midweek games. Well, we're excited about it. Uh, you know, back in the uh, my days here at Louisville, the midweek games have always been successful uh, to be able to play on national, uh, in the national spotlight and hopefully find a way to win. Uh, in the Big Ten, we didn't have as many as those for sure. Uh, but uh, to be, open, be able to open up uh, in the Mercedes-Benz Dome against Georgia Tech on a Friday night, uh, it's huge in my opinion. Uh, we're probably the only game being played, or at least uh, that, I, that I know of, that uh, really will be able to showcase uh, what we can do, so we want to take advantage of it. And then, of course, uh, going to Lucas Oil Stadium and playing in another NFL stadium will be fun for our fans, so we're excited to play Indiana there. And then I just think uh, any weekday games, which we have four, is a chance to uh, you know showcase what it was all about. So we, we want to take advantage of those. We need to play well in those. We need to be prepared for those and, uh, and, and try to win those games. How, how big is it to have Jack? He knows the system. He's been with you guys at Purdue, knows kind of the, the terminology, knows you and Ryan well. How big is that for your first year, and what does that do you know, for the competition, for the other guys to have somebody like that around them also? Well, that's an important position, and you want to make sure you have talented guys that uh, can win your football games and lead the team and that uh, you know, can make plays. I do think that... Uh, you know, it was important to add a veteran to the mix. Uh, Jack obviously knows us and knows our system and has played a lot of football, so we feel good about him. Uh, you know, uh, Brock Doma has experience as well, so we want to allow him to compete and, and uh, you know, learn the offense and do good things. And I think we have some young quarterbacks that we look forward to developing. Uh, um, and, you know, Pierce and, and, uh, and a nucleus of a few other guys, I think, have an opportunity to. to show what they're all about and I've, I've been excited about what I've seen to this point and uh, I think that uh, you know, getting them on the field, getting them game reps in spring practice as much as we can in uh, team settings uh, where they have to make plays with a little heat on them will be very important. Uh, so uh, we're excited about that position and developing it and uh, adding Jack uh, I think will be big because he does understand it. Yeah, Coach, I was going to ask you is it is it an open competition at, at the quarterback position? Well, we'll always have open competition uh, at every position. Um, you know, Jack does have a lot of experience, and we're bringing him here for a purpose and a reason, and we'll give him an opportunity to, uh, to do his thing. But uh, we also want to continue to develop the, everybody and make sure they're all ready to go. And, uh, you know, 
whether it's uh, one guy playing the entire game or certain packages for others or you know whatever we think we have to do to win, uh, we'll, we'll definitely get that done. Did an outstanding job at Purdue of having walk-ons come in and develop and contribute to the team. Is that a situation that will continue here at Louisville and are there, how big of a group of walk-ons will, will there be? Well, I, I hope so. I, I think that uh, we have had success with a lot of walk-ons doing very well for us, um, which is great to see because these guys have earned their stripes and done it the hard way. And uh, so we're always excited when they do well. Uh, and we've added walk-ons to this point. We'll continue to add. And uh, you know, if those guys uh, can uh, get out there and show what they can do, they'll be on the field. But uh, it's too early for me to tell exactly uh, where those guys will come from. But we, we definitely want to know add to the roster and uh, especially locally and in the state you know guys that want to be a part of Louisville football we want them to come uh, and, and do that and we will give them an opportunity to get on the field if that's what they want to do. Well, coach I just want to ask just recruiting this is your first class here at Louisville what's it like recruiting to this school and the changes that are taking place at this school this program as opposed to when you were being recruited to you <coughs> Just some of the big differences in how cool is it, it's real. Well, I think that uh, you know, Louisville's a national brand. Um, everyone knows about it uh, in the football and basketball world now, even in, in the other sports as well. But uh, you know, you got a beautiful stadium now that's as good as any in the country. Uh, we've got really, really good facilities uh, that when people come here, uh, they're excited to see. Uh, we're going to play a top-out schedule every year. And I think we have a chance to compete at a high level and, uh, and recruit uh, a high caliber of young men that want to come in here and, and win championships. So like everything, there's ebbs and flows, but uh, this program has definitely made a whole lot of progress and done a lot of really good things and have some great players come through here. And, and we want to try to do our part to you know, step up the game as much as we can and, and, and allow players to come in here and, and be great and play at the next level and, and, and help us win some championships. Jeff, just what's it been like early on with the players returning, the newcomers there, just meshing, jumping together, just trying to get everybody on the same page? Just what has that been like early on, just building those relationships with coaches and players? Well, I think that uh, we've been on the road for a long time, so it did take us a while to kind of really get around our players other than a hello and, and here and there. So that's been good to kind of get back and uh, get in front of them and talk to them and meet with them and, and do those things. And uh, so we're excited about the chance to do that. I think our newcomers have added competition. I think things are, are, are competitive here and everyone understands the best guys will play no matter who, who that is. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people step up their game when, when, when the competition rises. Others, you know, don't like it. Maybe it's not the, the place for them, but, uh, you know, these guys have messed well. I think they, they're all here with a purpose and, uh, you know, as we continue to develop the relationship with them and the bond with them, uh, we hope to push them to do great things. Jeff, your staff is coming to a completion. Obviously, there's a lot of familiarity from guys that came with you from Purdue, including your co-defensive coordinators. Talk about, I guess, their relationship that you saw on the field as co-defensive coordinators last year, and, and obviously you liked it because you, you brought it to Louisville as well. Well, you know, I've been coaching for a while now, and uh, two years ago we kind of went to approach on defense where I just wanted a more collaborative approach instead of one voice. Uh, and I wanted that collaborative approach to definitely include mine as well. So I wanted to really, first off, hire a group of guys that were great people first, just really quality people that 
when you asked around and, and you talked to people about them, uh, they all said great things. Uh, obviously, football knowledge was important as well. Uh, but we wanted, you know, people that wanted to uh, have a voice, but understand it's going to be a collaborative approach, and that uh, everyone's going to have a voice in the room, and that. Uh, you know, as we continue to try to put the best product on the field, we want to be able to point the fingers at ourselves first uh, to get things fixed and not be scared to take the blame when things aren't going well, uh, but be willing to work together. So I think, uh, you know, with Coach English and Coach Hagan, uh, shoot, my, my two years ago at Purdue, we had three Cody coordinators, and not many people do that, but I, I, I love the room. We had Brad Lambert in there as well, who's now the defensive coordinator Wake Forest, with Ron and, and, and Mark, and we had a great room. And then uh, it actually helped as well when, when uh, Brad left that we were able to keep that same continuity um, in terminology and structure, and those guys took it over. Uh, so, you know, I'm very familiar with them. Uh, we're going to work hard at being great on defense. Uh, you know, adding Mark, or excuse me, keeping Mark Abbey here, I think is huge. He, he understands the team, uh, he understands what they did well on defense and, and why they did, uh, and is a hard worker, and it's been a great addition. We've added Steve Ellis to coach the corners, who I couldn't find a negative thing about him. Uh, everybody I've talked to, I mean, a hard worker, a grinder, um, you know, really wants to coach at a high level and develop young men. He can develop relationships with the uh, recruits as good as anybody I've seen, so we're excited about him. And then, you know, Carl Mislowski will coach our special teams and help with the defense, and uh, he's been here as well. So he understands the team and the makeup and the guys. He was with us this past year at Louisville. Uh, did a solid job. He fit in well with us. He's a hard worker. He's a, a team guy. So I just think having a great nucleus of good guys in a room that are willing to work together is as important as anything. Jeff, kind of along those same lines, obviously added Stephen Ellis too, who maybe not has the same level ties, but did coach with Charlie Strong. When you get all of these guys in here who have, you know, past experience with playing for coaching at Louisville, how does that just help in you know meshing in a new area and just kind of you know establishing establishing what you want to do? Well, you know, I, I believe in, in adding as much experience uh, as well uh, to a room. And uh, we've got former head coaches on our staff, uh, former offense and defense coordinators, a lot of big schools. Uh, we try to continue to add great people to the mix that are going to blend in and bond well with the people we have and that can work together to, for a common cause to help us win championships. Yes, a lot of these guys are familiar with this university, been here before. Uh, some guys have lived here, some guys have played here, some guys have coached here. And I think it matters. I think that uh, they understand a little bit of the, the dynamics of what it takes to win here, uh, what we need to do, how we need to recruit, where we need to recruit. Uh, and, and I just think every little thing matters nowadays in winning. <clears throat> so we want to make sure we have the perfect mix and gel that together and, and work really hard to get that done. Jeff, does spring football take on added importance in the first year of a program? Well, it, it'll be very important, like always. Um, you know, as, as, as you're in a program a while, sometimes it gets to be where you're working the young guys and trying to keep your veterans healthy because it takes a toll on them playing 13, 14, at some point 15 games a year. Uh, and that's kind of what it turned into a little bit at, at to the last place. And, and now, yes, there's a lot of new things that people need to hear. And, uh, be able to, to play fast with and understand, so that'll be very important. But also, we'll have some veterans that play a lot of football. We don't want to overwork those guys and want to keep them healthy. And there's a handful of guys that are on the shelf right now getting things fixed. We want to make sure that that happens. But yes, taking advantage of the 15 practice will be very important. Uh, 
all the meetings and walkthroughs and workouts we have are very important and I just think you want to you know, get these guys to compete understand what we're doing so that when we get on the field they can play fast and, uh, and furious and, and make a lot of plays so we'll, we'll you know we, we pushed it back a little normal uh, a little farther back than we have uh, in the previous years a little bit but I think we understand the dynamics here so with spring break being where it is we're going to start after spring break go three practices a week for five weeks culminate with a spring game on April 21st which Years ago, used to be the, the best time to have a spring game uh, the night before Thunder on a Friday night. Uh, and I hope, uh, hopefully, we have a great crowd that'll come out and, and watch us compete on that day. Jeff, two part with as far as recruiting staff, we've heard a lot, about, not just here but other schools, about recruiting staffs and the way with the portal that you have to, you know, you have to have that staff the way you know with, with a lot of numbers. Do you have the numbers you need now? Will you continue to add to that staff? And then in that regards. You spent a lot of time in Florida with most of your staff. Is that kind of showing what the importance is for you moving forward? Well, we, we, we're going to continue to build uh, the staff and the support staff and recruiting staff here. A lot of those guys aren't here. Uh, we've been able to uh, keep things going with Pete Nocta, John Harry, and Trent Mossberger leading the charge on the recruiting front with us coaches working extremely hard with them. I do think it's important. What we may do different than others is our assistants are going to be heavily involved, not only in uh, recruiting, uh, but the everyday communication with prospects and coaches. And we want to make sure you know, a lot of these guys want to hear from, from the coach, from the head coach, from the coordinator, from the position coach. So we want to make sure that happens. And, uh, but over the next month, we'll continue to, to add uh, a little bit to each one of those to shore some things up. And I think that uh, you know making sure the fit is 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 right is important and also making sure you know that we're all able to contribute to recruiting is what we kind of grew to uh, at the last place is just making sure we understand it's not the recruiting department's job to get recruits it's all of our job uh, so i think collaborating and, and and piecing that together will be vital as we continue forward all right thanks coach all right, that was Jeff Brom talking about today's National Signing Day and also updating us on his staff being rounded out. We'll take our break here. We'll come back. We'll get ready for hour number two, react to that, and we'll play a little bit of D Who Said This, Josh Pastner, or Michael Scott with Gary. It's all coming your way in hour number two. Keep it locked right here. Mike Rutherford Show rolls on next here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. <laughs> All right, hour number two here of the Wednesday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Reminder, tonight's Louisville-Georgia Tech game at the KFC Yum Center can be heard on your new home for Cardinal Athletics 970 WGTK. Pre-game coverage will start at 530. Of course, you want to stay here from 530 to 6. Just, just hang out with us. Hang out with us. And then at 6 o'clock, you can flip over to 970 WGTK. Hear from Paul Rogers, Jody Demling, and the gang. Getting ready for tip-off 7 o'clock tonight between Louisville and Georgia Tech. Yellow Jackets are a two-point favorite. If you're watching the game on TV, brace yourselves. It is a regional sports network night, which means find out where you can watch the game now. Don't don't be freaking out because it's 6.55 and you're saying, oh my God, I can't watch Louisville Georgia Tech. I, I can't watch 0-10 versus 1-10 because I can't figure out if I get this channel. Locally, it will be on Bally Sports South. If you're listening to the show from somewhere else in the, uh, else out in the country, check your local listings. 
probably on the Valley Sports Network of your choice, but make sure. 646 here on DirecTV. That's what I can tell you. Not going to be on the ACC Network? Not ACC Network tonight. Uh, this one not quite big enough for any of the national or semi-national <laughs> networks, so we get the regional sports network designation. I felt like Saturday's game, Louisville-Notre Dame, which was record-wise almost as bad as this. I mean, Notre Dame was 1-9. and We were 0-9 going into that game. We got the, because it was an ESPN2 game, we got like the three announcer treatment. Like they had the solid the play-by-play, the analyst, and the sideline reporter. And I could just tell, you could just tell, the, the tinge in their voices was like, why? Why did we have to research this? Like the, 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 the woman, I think her name was Allison Gray, who was good doing the sideline reporting was like, this is this, this is ESPN. Why are we doing a game between two teams with a combined one ACC win here in late January? But them's the breaks when you make the schedule before the season starts. Take the good with the bad you when you get to the big time. You do. Uh, all right. We heard from uh, we, we heard from Jeff Brom last segment talking to the media on National Signing Day, talking about rounding out the coaching staff. I did love. I mean, my my favorite part of the the press conference was there at the end. He's talking about the spring game, and he did make mention of the fact that when he was here as an assistant, both under Bobby Petrino and then the year under Steve Crackthorpe, the spring game was like, it was a big deal. I think football was just becoming a mainstay here locally. You know, we, we were, Rick Petino had the basketball team rolling a little bit. We were excited about that. But football was a, a new thing, competing for national titles. We finished in the top 10 both in 2004 and 2006. There was so much enthusiasm around the program. People were just hungry, had a newfound appetite for the football program. And those spring games were were so well attended, and, and Brahms like I kind of want to get back to that because they even when we had Lamar Jackson, they kind of tapered off. People lost a little bit of interest. Um, the, the times changed. Petrino had a different way of doing the spring games in his second go round, and then obviously we did not have a real spring game here in any year under Scott Satterfield. But Brahms uh, said, "Look, the best time to have this is the day before Thunder over Louisville. May not be ideal to have it this late in a semester, but." You get the enthusiasm. People are excited. The weather is usually pretty damn good. Let's make it happen. And also, the man, the man gets it. Where else can you bring five-star recruits for a new recruiting trip other than the Balloon Glow? Recruits to the Balloon Glow. People are like, "Why? How's U of L getting all these California kids? What do we have to offer?" Two words: Balloon Glow. It's my favorite thing to envision is taking like a seventeen-year-old who's seen, you know, he's from California, and you're like. Well, what do, what do you do here? Like you, you watch the balloons. They they blow up. They glow. What's not to like? You want to get your ass up at 5 a.m. and watch these things go up in the air? Do they actually race? No. They just fly around and drop beanbags on an X somewhere. And when the weather's bad, which happens I think 75% of the time, they just cancel it. It's the greatest sporting event in this country. Gets the, a little windy. It's canceled. It's done. It's over. My dad, when he was my dad worked at the newspaper for a long time. He worked at the Louisville Times the Courier Journal, and then the Lexington Herald Leader briefly, and then he finished up. He was the editor of the the record, the Catholic newspaper, before he retired. But they would try to he, – he was got the designation to go up with one of the balloons, the, the Great Balloon Race. And they tried to do it for like five years in a row, but it kept getting canceled. And then the one year he did, I remember we went there to watch him go up in the balloon, and I'm like six, seven, eight years old, and I'm thinking, race, this is going to be great. I'm like, well, he's winning. Like none of these, these balloons aren't even off the ground. My mom's like, that's not really the way it works. They go up there. They kind of float around and they try to drop a beanbag on a big axe. I'm like, well, this is the worst thing that I've ever. I'm like, I got up at 5 a.m. for this. This is terrible. And I can only imagine how an 18 year old five star recruit would feel about doing the same thing. Lock him in, Jeff. Get him in town for derby festivities. <laughs> Make it happen. This is the way it's going to work. Uh, this and so exciting to listen to on the radio too. You know the balloon glow. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> I do love TJ Walker just texted. Probably a long shot, but I have four U of L tickets for tonight. Second row, you can give away on your show if you have any interest. Let's do that. I mean, just, do people want the tickets? Because the text line after I said I've been given oh, asked for tickets a bunch of times, people just kept saying I've been asked for tickets too, and then they're, they're asking me for the tickets. If you want four tickets to tonight's game, we'll do a trivia question coming up here at, uh, at, at like 425 before we go to break here. But I promise we're going to play this game. We're going to play it. Louisville's playing Georgia Tech tonight, which means it's the return of the definitive quiz show of our time, which is who said it? Josh Pastor and Michael Scott. Now, Gary Gary is an office guy, loves the office, loves Michael Scott. He knows nothing about Josh Pastner. No. Nope. If, if you don't, is the Georgia Tech head coach. We'll see him tonight. We knew him from back in his days at Memphis. He's very Michael Scott-esque in terms of he says things that he thinks are deeply profound and motivational, and they're really just wacky and extremely dorky. They're basically the same person, so much so that this quiz – is almost impossible to ace. Some of these you'll you'll probably be able to get. Some of these you'll you'll remember from either Pastor saying them or from an office episode. But I can almost guarantee that if you're playing along from home, you won't get a full twenty out of twenty. You won't. Gary, are you ready? I'm ready. He's excited. I'm excited too. We, I, I, we haven't played this in a while. We played with Trevor last. Year. I want to say Trevor got like twelve or thirteen. Okay. Maybe I can't remember. That's exactly. pretty tough for me. It's. I mean, it's. You should be able to get some of these. Okay. I'm trying to pull up the answer key, actually, because I can't. Because I, I, I looked at the very first one. I'm like, I actually don't know who, <laughs> what the answer was. <laughs> and the comments aren't loading, so I'm trying to figure it out. I, I know I put the answers in the comments. I should have been more prepared. I thought I, I thought I was going to have time. I don't know why this isn't coming up. Michael Scott or Josh Pastner? Who said it? Okay, here we go. All right, now we're good. All right, who said it? Michael Scott or Josh Pastner? Number one. It was quick. It happened within, within hours. There was no time to dilly-dally around. It was A to B to C to D to E within hours. Who said that? Michael Scott. That was Josh Faster. Oh, doggone. I told you. I told you it's going to get you. It's not easy. Wow. Number two. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I'll have no idea where I'm going. That's got to be Michael Scott. That is Michael Scott. You are ding, correct. Ding, ding, ding. That's one. <laughs> you get to stop that one short because he keeps going, and he's. I think he. the rest of that quote gives it away a little bit. But that one was Michael Scott. You're correct. You're one for two. Number three. No, I never visited the campus, but I've got good instincts on stuff, and this one felt totally right. That's got to be the coach. That is Josh Pastner. You are correct. Two. You are two for three. Number four, go fly a kite and take a hike. Michael Scott. That is Josh Pastner. Really? That is that is Josh Pastner. Boy, this is a tough quiz. I told you. These, they're two, they're interchangeable. They're two basically peas in a pod. They're, they're two kindred spirits. He could have been a writer on that show. He really could have. He probably should have because he's not a great coach. He's probably... About- <laughs> He's probably about to be looking for work, so I think that maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, if they ever do a, a, a remake of The Office, he's got a job. <laughs> it, it should probably happen. <laughs> no, number five, we were very undisciplined, and I don't like that because I like discipline. You know, I'm going to say it was Michael Scott. That's Josh Pastner. That's the oh, coach. Oh, man. That's the coach. You're, that was obvious. I thought, well, that's got to be too obvious to be the coach. Yeah. thought we were trying to trick it. He, you are now two for five. Number six. Oh. I knew exactly what to do, 
but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. Michael Scott. That is Michael Scott. You are correct. Oh, three for six. Three. All right. Number seven. Sometimes you just have to be the boss of dancing. Could you repeat that? <laughs> I can. Sometimes you just have to be the boss of dancing. That's got to be Michael Scott. That is. The boss kind of gives it away unless you were thinking I was going to trick you, but that is from the uh, the Booze Cruise episode. Oh, that was a great episode. It's a fantastic episode. You are four for seven now. Number eight. It's only unthinkable if you don't think it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Michael Scott. It does, but it's, it's Josh Pastner. Ah. Four for eight. Ah. Number nine. My mind was going a mile an hour. <laughs> I'll say that's the coach. That's that's Michael Scott. Really? Yes. Oh, boy. Yes. Four for nine. No, <laughs> number 10. You can always look at the glass as half empty or half full. I like to look at it as overflowing. Michael Scott. That's Josh Pastner. No kidding. Yes. Four for 10. I don't know where you found this quiz, but this is a great quiz. I made it up. I made it. Oh, these you are, made it up? These are legitimate quotes said by both Michael Scott and Josh Pastor. Wow. This is a, a Card Chronicle original. The board game soon ago. available. We need to make <laughs> Card Chronicle, Chronicle.com. He keeps saying weird stuff. We can make this into a, a yearly thing, I think. I just haven't been keeping track. Number 11, you're just being a negative Nelly. We need more positive Pauls. Now, that sounds like Michael Scott. It does. But it's the coach. But it's Josh Pastner. <sighs> Number 12. You can't put words back in your mouth. <laughs> I'll say the coach. That is correct. That is Josh Pastor. Oh. Five for 12 now. Oh. Number 13. I don't hate it. I just don't like it at all, and it's terrible. That sounds like the coach. That's Michael Scott. I know. I, I told you. I told you. They, they're going to get you. <sighs> Five for 13. Number 14. All wins are great. Winning is hard. If I could hug a win, I would hug it. You can't hug a win, but I'd really like to. Now, that sounds like Michael Scott. That's Josh Pastner. Oh, man. Talking about wins. Five for 14. Gary, this is going poorly. <sighs> Number 15. I have never outcoached anyone, ever. I have probably been outcoached, though. Oh, that's got to be the coach. That is Josh Pastner. That uh, is, that's a layup. So that's six. Six for 15. Number 16. When I'm playing hoops, all of the stress and responsibility of my job here just melts away. It's gone. I'm in the zone. That's Michael Scott. That is Michael Scott. That's from the episode where they played basketball down in the warehouse. Correct. Yeah. That's one of the, the first episodes, a classic. Yeah. So you're six for 16 now. Uh, Number 17. Good. Everything is black and white. There is no gray area. I don't believe gray exists. It's got to be Michael Scott. That's Josh Pastner. That's Josh Pastner. Oh, Doesn't boy. believe in gray. No gray area. Number 18, when I discovered YouTube, I didn't work for five days. Michael Scott. That is Michael Scott. That is yes. correct. I don't remember which episode that's from, but I remember him saying that. It's a great one. It, 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 the first time I heard that line, I, I remember <laughs> laughing out loud. It's all be, we're, they're admitting stuff. When I first discovered YouTube, I didn't work for five days. I think I, I, think I, I missed one earlier. You've got eight. You're eight for, eight. for 18 now. Mm -hmm. Can he get to 10? Can you get half right? We got two left. Got to get the last two right here. Number 19. We're going through a little bit of a rough patch. The whole year, actually. That's got to be the coach. That's Michael Scott. Oh! Yeah. 
One more. The last one. My first question to anyone I might hire is, do you golf? If they say yes, you can't work for me. Michael Scott. That's Josh Pastner. He won't hire you if you golf. Oh. Does not hire anybody who golfs. Oh. They don't work hard enough. Ah. Gary, you got eight right out of 20. Whew. It's a tough quiz. It's not for the it's not for the faint of heart. How many did uh, uh I think Trevor got like twelve. Trevor 12, got 12. twelve or thirteen. That's pretty good. It was, but he thought he was gonna get like all of them. He thought it was gonna be the easiest thing in the world. Oh, that's was, not a no, that's not he an was easy humble. quiz at all. Even like maybe somebody who watches the office all the time. It just goes to show how goofy Josh Pastner is. He's basically a, a sitcom character <laughs> without being a sitcom character. You could make a I mean, I, I need to find it so we can play it on the show. His his voicemail is one of the weirdest things you've ever heard. Like, it's basically an affirmation. You call him and he's like, hey, it's Josh. Just want to let you know that I love you. You're great. You're special. You're important. It goes on. They played it on one of the, during one of the games, and I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. Now, see, that sounds like Michael Scott. They're the same person. They're basically the same person. Uh, this is, I mean, yeah, imagine, imagine having a very highly qualified assistant coach, a guy who's, Brought in the top tier recruits at a blue blood program like North Carolina. He knows the game. He's bound for head coaching greatness at, at some point, but he wants to join your staff. And you're like, "Do you golf?" And he says, "Yeah." You know, sometimes it's, it's a great way to to network, to meet new people. I enjoy the game. It's a great way to de stress. And Pastor's like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you're out, done." He's a, he's a dork. He's he is what he is. But look, he was ACC coach of the year one time. He won an ACC tournament. He wore a, a weird, creepy, creepy mask uh, for the COVID season. He's certainly a character. He's our very own Michael Scott. Um, 502-414-1450. We'll take a few texts here before we take a break. When we come up at 4.30, we're going to have Jeff Greer on to talk about uh, Louisville basketball, get his thoughts on if I'm an idiot for picking Louisville to win tonight. I'm sure he'll say yes. That's fine. Texture says, I've played Scott versus Passner with you like three times. I do worse every single time. I, it's a game that it ages like a fine wine. You think you've mastered it. It never, it, it never stops being appropriate. So when you watch The Office, do you ever come up with hear hear things that you haven't heard before, and you're like, "Oh, that's pretty good. I'll use that next time." So I mean, there's no shortage of Michael Scott quotes that yeah. you can use for this game. The have, issue is Pastner quotes. Have you ever worked for somebody like Michael Scott? Mm, no. I, I, I've been in radio almost all my life. Radio and, people are weird. I can see that being a better path. And I had a boss who was just like him, who made stupid comments and stu- and you know major programming mistakes and he thought he was he thought he was the king of the hill the 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 closest i've gotten to working for somebody from a like movie or tv was i was basically in a devil wears prada situation when i was doing law school law law stuff before Mm -hmm. i had a boss who was very very demanding very intimidating i loved him though i thought he was great and he really liked me he's a high profile lawyer here in town and the best story i can tell is I was once asked to like on a tiny ass cart, like ship his gigantic TV all across downtown to the federal courthouse. Like I would have to t- take all this stuff to the federal courthouse. I-, I didn't get out of the elevator before the thing fell over and shattered. Ooh. Didn't shit like the whole front was broken. And like, I mean, I looked at the receptionist, the look on her face was just like, you should just quit now. Like you, you should run. Like he's going to kill you. I've worked there for like a year and he was so cool about it. He's like, Matt, he has a big twang. It's like Mackle, Mackle. 
You can replace you can replace things. You can't replace people. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Now, and this is in the days when TVs were heavy and big and with like, a lot of glass. This was like 11, 12 years ago. This, yeah. was, a, this was a big deal. Uh, and he was, he was very cool about it. Could not have been nicer. The next day, I brought him Wendy's at lunch for this, this trial, which was going on at federal court. He calls back and absolutely lays into me for like 10 minutes on the phone about not having a fork with his salad, which was not my fault. <laughs> They did not have the the forks come from behind the counter. They don't have them at the little condiments counter, which is out there in the main at the old uh, Galleria mm-hmm. food place. He's like, like, I answered the phone. I was, I was at the receptionist desk. Like, he wants to talk to you. He's like, Mackle, you want to tell me how the bleep I'm supposed to eat this bleep and salad with no bleep and fork? And just go. So didn't care about the TV shattered, but the no fork in the Wendy salad was a was an absolute deal breaker. I, I was like sitting there. I'm like trying not to laugh because I'm like. I'm like, they don't, I'm like, I can't give you the fork. It's supposed to be in the bag. What do you want me to say? I'm like, also, you're at federal court. There's a food station right down. I mean, it was just, but like that job was very much, I didn't mind it because he was, I thought he was more funny. Like, I don't really, but it, it definitely was, there was a lot of demands and a lot of weird things that were, were asked. Yeah. I had a boss one time, I guess I had him about six weeks before he went on to another station, but he called me in his office. Uh, to have what they call an air check session where they critique your work on the air. This is when I was playing sure, music. Sure. And he told me, he goes, you know, one thing I have to say about you, he says, you have the weirdest radio voice I've ever heard in my life. What? That's what he said. I said, uh, yeah, you should have heard him on the air. I said, you have I'm a like, great radio what? voice. And, 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 but then I found out he told everybody else the same thing. I don't know why, because everybody who worked on the station was, was pretty good on the air. You know, I never had never had since then have never had anybody say, Oh, you have the weirdest voice on the air. No, I would never think that it's a very, very odd critique. I yeah. did get in trouble for saying boner uh, <laughs> in a robot voice uh, at the last job. And I had to do like the, I do the, the modules about professionalism on it, which we were not a professional show. Come on. But I don't remember what it was, but I was like, I've got a boner. And like, I did it for some, like in this eighties robot voice in a bunch. And that, that was apparently too much. And I got. I got in trouble. They basically did the whole thing where it was like, I thought it was funny. I don't care. But there's a standard up. I'm like, have you not heard any of the other shows that we've done here? But it was fine. I, I yeah, sat I remember. The modules and got it did it. upset me. I went home, told my wife, I said, you know, this guy's in the job temporarily till they find someone else. And I said, boy, I hope, I don't hope he doesn't get the job permanently. And he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good radio i mean it's just it's you know a lot of times it's just a matter of personal choice when it comes to um program directors you know they either like the way you sound or they or they don't or if they think you're better than they are they'll make it hard on you this is true uh texas said i got 17 out of 20 on the quiz i feel good about that solid well, that b. is good that is no that's that's better than a b that's i mean well i guess if you're going a like modest standard grade <laughs> schedule scale but that's, that's good Texture says, uh, Vomacillin, 18 out of 20. 18 out of 20 is good. Very good. Uh, Texture I was curious about what tickets were going for tonight, so I checked StubHub. The cheapest tickets were $6 up top, and some lower bowl prices were under $20. All right, well, I, I promised we would get tickets uh, away to somebody. I, I tell you what, here's what we're going to do. First person to correctly answer this question on the text line, 502-414-1450. You get four second-row tickets to tonight's game, courtesy of TJ Walker, the sports talker. Uh, and only only answer the question if you want to use the tickets. Don't answer the question just to get it right and then say, I've got no interest in going to the game. Answer the question if you want to use the tickets. Uh, last year, I mentioned the last meeting between Louisville and Georgia Tech was in the ACC tournament. The Cards won 84-74, to advancing to the second round where they lost to Virginia. Who was Louisville's leading scorer in that game? That's the question. 
first person to answer that that correctly at 502-414-1450, you are going to get the tickets. So we will we'll wait on that. Reminder, Keith Wynn will come on after the break. All right, Jeff Greer, I should say, will come on after the break at 430 to talk Cardinal Hoops. Keith Wynn will be on at 515 to talk about Louisville football. Again, leading scorer in last year's game. Couple guesses in, no guesses correct. Let's see if anybody can get it. There we go. All right. The, the correct answer has come in. The fourth answer there was Jared West was the leading scorer in the game. Props to you. I'll hit you up. We'll find a way to get you those tickets. All right. We'll take a break. When we come back, Jeff Greer on Talk Cardinal Hoops. This is the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 and likes to let it build. He likes to get excited and then just sing. That's what I've been going and seeing all the uh, the previous songs that he's used. And This is one of those Trevor songs where he like will literally mute my mic for a minute so he can get to the part where he wants. So I'll try to keep coming in and I'm like, Trevor, come on. He just wants to get to the part where he can start singing. That's is this whole... where he re- the song really kicks in? Yeah, this is where he starts singing and he just goes off. And then this is where he like lets me start talking again. I'm like, great, we heard 55 minutes or seconds of this song. It's fun. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome back in. It's the Mike Rutherford Show on a Wednesday here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Getting you ready for tonight's game between Louisville and Georgia Tech. Reminder, you can hear all the action on 970 WGTK. Cover starting at 5.30. Tip-off at 7 o'clock is a Bally Sports South night here locally on TV. To talk more about the game and everything going on in the world of Cardinal basketball and college basketball in general is our buddy Jeff Greer. You know him from the Floyd Street Tribune and the uh, Floyd Street's Finest podcast. Jeff, how are you, my friend? Thanks for spending some time with us here. Yeah, I'm doing great, Mike. How are you, bud? Doing well. Uh, first and foremost, the text line wanted to know, I was talking about this game. I think Louisville's going to win. I, I'm out there. It's the first time I've predicted a Louisville victory since the FAMU <laughs> game. And I was taking sh- some shots at Josh Pastor. I think his his job is certainly on shaky ground right now. And the text line is like, Greer's going to get you. That's his guy. That That's his boy. They're best friends. He voted for him for <laughs> ACC Coach of the Year. So, I mean, how wrong am I in think, in having confidence, in, in having faith that Louisville can get a win tonight over the, the Fighting Passengers and Georgia Tech? Um, well, first of all, I'm shocked that you would have confidence about anything uh, to do with this team. I mean, I, I, I think Georgia Tech is going to win. Um, I don't blame you for thinking this is the spot uh, that, they could, that they could get a win. Georgia Tech is atrocious. Um, they are not a good basketball team, and I think you're right. I, as much as it pains me to say this, that my close personal best friend, uh, Josh <laughs> Pastner, is on the hot seat, um, his team is really struggling, and it and it's, appears to have gone pretty, pretty south pretty quickly for him uh, at Georgia Tech. I will say, I will fight until the last day of my life that he deserved to win Coach of the Year, the year that I voted for him, so... Um, I will stand by that until my very last breath, but uh, he also may not be coaching Georgia Tech in about uh, six weeks. So here we go. 
didn't they not make the tournament when he won ACC Coach of the Year? Uh, now you're now you're actually going to force me to defend it. I don't remember all of the details. All I know is I remember him. I remember his team going from being really awful to being really good, uh, or not really good, but a lot better. And I I I tend to vote for coaches and and players who have shown significant improvement. Like Mike Shashevsky being coach of the year is just never was never going to fly for me. Um, I, I mean, it's great when your team wins the league and that's impressive, but you know when you roll out uh, seven five star kids, I feel like your coaching uh, stuff is not. I don't know. I just don't. I don't feel like it's the same accomplishment as as Josh Pastner's Georgia Tech squad going like ten and eight after they were so bad the year before. I'm, I feel pretty good about. Uh, about that vote, I, I will stand by it. They went seventeen and fourteen overall. They went eight and ten in conference, had a losing record, and finished eleventh. That was the the coach of the what year. What was the year? But what was the year? What was the year before? I don't care. They had a losing record and they were eleventh in the ACC. Jeff. Okay. All right. Well, I he won. I you weren't. You weren't look. All about the improvement. You weren't alone. I think it was more of a. They were really good at the beginning of the season and they kind of tanked late and nobody cared. But whatever. It doesn't matter now. Um, <laughs> They, is he going to wear the shield tonight, Mike? And will the shield be there tonight? If he does, it's just for us. If he does, it's just a nod, I think, to the Louisville fans. <laughs> I think that's – which he is aware of how Louisville fans make fun of him, which makes me happy and also a little bit sad. But he uh, he's, he's coaching right now. I mean, you mentioned it. They're a team that – and this is part of the reason why I have some confidence in tonight's game, probably more than I should. It feels like they're kind of lying down now here, these last three. They've lost by – I mean, Duke beat them by 43. Clemson, who I think is regressing a little bit, destroyed them. Syracuse, who's not very good, beat them by 17. And it kind of feels like you've got a lot of players who know that they're playing for a lame duck coach in a season that has gone south very quickly. Um, they didn't have a lot of expectations going into the year, but certainly when you get this deep and, and things haven't gone well, it's normal to lie down. Louisville, while the, the effort isn't there consistently, I don't think they've completely just given up and I think they seem to know that that Kenny Payne's probably going to be there for another season that's that's kind of my my basis for this pick is they they've quit less than Georgia Tech at this point in the season is that is that a fair assessment <laughs> yeah no that's that's fair I mean I was pretty alarmed at how poorly Louisville played uh, when the game was still I guess in hand or at least was supposed to be competitive against Notre Dame I thought that was a pretty um a pretty disconcerting performance and yeah, there was a little bit of a, of a, a rally to make it respectable, but um, I tend to, I tend to look more at when the game was supposed to be competitive and, and think um, that there's, that that's a problem. Um, and then when you look at the second half against Boston college, uh, which, you know, you went from, I think it was plus five to being minus 15 in the second half or something like that. I mean, that's, that's problematic. Um, so I, I, I do agree, though. Like I, I think of all of the games that were left, even before the start of this four-game stretch, where the, it felt like maybe Louisville could get a couple wins, I always had the two Georgia Tech games in my head as, as kind of the two primary candidates. Um, I, I just, I guess, for me, it's just a matter of, you know, what, what is, is the game going to be competitive late? And if it is, then I don't think Louisville, I don't have any trust in, in Louisville to, to see it over the finish line. But if they can jump on them early and, like you said, kind of just get them in the quit mode, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe there's, a, there's a win in there for them. But um, 
it, it requires them to make a lot of shots and feel like things are going their way for them to, to click on and, and be engaged. You mentioned you know the team coming out and not really looking engaged against Notre Dame. I was mentioning at the, in the first hour of the show, I watched the highlights from last year's ACC tournament win over Georgia Tech, and I was kind of blown away by how much fire <laughs> that team played with. I don't know if you remember this. Like, like the bench is going nuts. They're slapping chairs. Like They're into every play. The coaches are up. They're going nuts. The guys on the court are, are all fired up. And, you know, we have so many bad memories from last year. You kind of forgot that at one point in time, at, you know, the most recent memory of that team was them looking like they were willing to like die for a Louisville victory. Out of all my complaints of this season, my biggest is that we haven't seen that in a first-year head coach's team. And it surprises me. I thought we were going to see, we might see bad basketball, but we would see that same fire, that same energy, that same enthusiasm. I mean, you're, you're, you're objective. You're not a Louisville fan. So you have a probably more of a, you know, I guess you can evaluate this without having your, your emotions into it. How concerning is that for you as an, as an outsider? If, if your team had a coach who in his first year just couldn't get the team to play with that same fire that they saw at the end of the year under an interim head coach? Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, they're two and 19. So I, I mean, I'm ringing the fire alarm, uh, pretty hard. I mean, sure. I, I think, you know, I, I understand the arguments of you, you don't want to set the precedent of making a coaching change after one year. I totally get that. And, and I, and I understand, you know, the mindset of, of trying to hit the transfer portal and seeing if you can get some momentum. So, you know, I, I think I, 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 I don't want to say empathize with that or sympathize with that. That's the wrong word. Those are the wrong words. But I, I guess I get where those people are coming from. But my problem with all of this is, you say your practices are three hours long, which they are. Um, everything is everything has been blamed mostly on the players, except for I think one or two times where there's any accountability. The message hasn't changed. The results kind of got better for maybe two weeks where they were more competitive, but they've kind of gotten back into where they were before. I mean, the Notre Dame game really was concerning. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, I'm, re- I'm, I'm concerned about everything. So, you know, above all else, uh, you, you go back. I, I always reference this when I'm talking about this Louisville team. The, the first Tom Crean IU team went 6-25. and 25. And I'm pretty sure, if I if my memory serves, they were starting like two or three walk-ons. They had a baseball player. I mean, they had a completely cobbled together roster navigating a Big Ten schedule. Uh, only won six games, but you probably remember this, Mike, because we were in college and probably similarly watching a lot of college basketball back then. I remember a lot of those broadcasts that IU was playing in, mm-hmm. and the broadcasts were saying, you know, look. They're getting, they're losing these games, but they're playing their butts off, and they're and they're hustling, and they're giving the effort, and I, like that's what stands out to me the most about this group is is that the message somehow has not reached them that they have to play absolutely the hardest possible that they can play, and the fact that we're still this far into the season and they're having issues with it, that you know we can blame the players all we want for that, and I think they're I think everyone. Uh, takes should take some blame for the way this whole thing is going, but uh, you know I, I just I don't buy the argument that it's it's all on the players. I mean I, I'm just very concerned, uh, and I would be very concerned about the ability to motivate the players um, at this point, purely from a pride standpoint uh, of trying to play for something the rest of the season. 
Tom Carnal Hoops with Jeff Greer here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Uh, along the same lines, there's this notion that despite preaching culture and, and preaching, you know, trying to lay the building blocks for what's to come, there's a notion that there's going to be a complete roster overhaul going into next season, which would be understandable if this team wins two or three games or four games or whatever it's going to wind up being. We asked people on, on Monday's show, you know, how worried recruiting? Are you worried about it? Are you not worried about it? 87% of, of people said they were worried about what was happening in recruiting right now. You've got Corin Davis, Karan Davis, a, a junior college prospect with no digital footprint who's coming into the program. You've got Emmanuel Okorafor who's playing hard and you know, people are excited about joining the team midseason. You apparently have another kid from the, the African Basketball Academy who's joining. You, what you don't have are five stars who are either committed to Louisville or who look like they're going to commit to Louisville. I mean, how much of, of a concern is this for you right now, Jeff, if you were looking at this from a Louisville fan's perspective, who'd been sold on this guy being, you know, the recruiting guru? That was the one thing he was going to bring to the table that you knew he was going to get guys. Yeah, and, and so last summer I wrote something, and I remember we talked about it, of kind of the mentality of, of moving in silence and, and trying to basically keep everything a secret. And, and the few times that I've been told stuff, that might be going on um, in the, well, that is going on inside the basketball program that, that maybe announcement is coming or something like that. Um, it's always met with kind of, uh, we've been told to, to keep this, uh, you know, keep this to ourselves. This is a big secret. Don't say anything. And that's a, and I know I wrote this last summer again. I, I, I just feel like repeating myself a little bit. Like that's a really tight, tight rope to be walking on. I mean, that is a difficult um, a, a difficult uh, way to approach things if it's not going well, because now the optics are everything's terrible, and there's rumors. I keep hearing rumors. Oh, they're going to make a big splash here, or, or this is going to happen, and we just don't know if any of it is true, uh, and we just don't know uh, what else to think than what has been made public, and what has been made public has been very concerning. So. Um, you've got to give people a reason to believe that something good is coming. And if you don't do that on the floor, you need to do that in recruiting. And Louisville fans are not getting either of those things. And as a result, I'm, I'm surprised it was so low at 87%. I'm surprised it was even, uh, it wasn't in the 90s because um, I, I think there's a lot of us who normally pick up on a lot of things and know a, a lot of stuff about recruiting who are all just kind of wondering what's going on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that was supposed to be the calling card for for Kenny Payne. I think it's concerning that um, that that hasn't happened, and I think it's just gotten that much more difficult when this team is two and nineteen. You wonder about the coaching the players are getting. You wonder about how the players are developing outside of maybe Mike James, and it's just uh, I think it's just making everything that much more difficult for them uh, in terms of amassing talent. I know that this is it's the topic that comes up every single day on the show. People always ask questions like, what record theoretically could get Kenny Payne fired? I'm of the belief that he's, even if they win two games, I think he's probably going to get another year. Um, I think the only way that he doesn't come back is if Kenny Payne chooses not to come back. I mean, for you, though, you know, you, you, I'm not asking you, you know, what would you do, but do you think that there's a world where we don't see Kenny Payne get a second year for a reason other than him just saying, I don't need this, I don't want to have this job, I'm out. I honestly think that would, that I agree with you. I mean, I think that has to be the way that that would go about happening. Um, 
you know, there's a chance. And, and again, I, I'm speculating here. I've not sure. uh, had any conversation with anybody that would suggest that any of this stuff is happening. I, everything I have heard from, from people is that, you know, that Josh Hurd's public support a couple of weeks ago was a pretty clear sign of where things stand. But the only other possibility is, is if they sit down and, and at the end of the season they go 2-30 and 30 and they say, yeah, you know what, this is, this is not going to go well, but how, or this is not going well, how, what's the path forward? Um, and, and maybe there's a mutual uh, conversation there of saying this isn't the right fit. But um, I feel like that's a lot of money for Kenny Payne to leave on the table, first of all. Uh, and second of all, I think it's, uh, again, I know there's a, a few people in the L community who, who have valuable uh, input on stuff uh, who would be concerned about the precedent that it sets to, to make a coaching change after one year. The program needs, desperately needs some stability after the past five, six, seven years. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a really, really tough one uh, to, to navigate because uh, of just how poor things have gone this year. So you're losing money and revenue from games. You're not, there, nobody is at these games. Um, I, I'm sure they're vending stuff, and I don't know what cut they get from the Yum Center on, on all of that, but they've got to be taking massive financial hits uh, because of this season. So um, it, it's, it's a problem across the board, and at some point you have to address that problem, whether that's uh, coming up with a plan that you think is going to work um, or, or just agreeing that it's not working out. But um, I, I'll put it this way. I would not want to be Josh Hurd um, right now because – he would never say this, but it just kind of felt like his hand was sort of forced to make this hire, whether he wanted to or not. I don't know. I mean, I think he publicly was very much in favor of it, um, but it felt like it kind of had to be the hire. And as a result, now he's the guy who's, who's getting asked all the questions about it. Jeff, this is going to, regardless of how these last this last month plays out, which, my God, there's still a month plus left of the season, which is a, a bitter pill to swallow right now. Regardless of how it plays out, this is going to be a historically bad season for Louisville basketball. This is going to be the most losses they've ever had. It's going to go. It's going to have gone worse than anybody could have possibly imagined. With that being the case, we, we've heard some people who have, I think, been concerned that maybe the bar is going to be significantly lowered for year two, that people could say, well, they went from three wins to nine wins. That's progress. For you, what should a realistic ex- expectation for a second-year head coach at a program like Louisville be? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I would want to see where this thing ends. You know, if they if they shock the world and they end up going on a, you know, winning five of their last seven or something like that and, and I don't, I don't see a world where that happens, but, you know, they finish, I don't know, 8-24 and 24 or something like that, then I would say, look, I think, you know, you, you pick, and, pick and choose who you want to keep on your roster. I think there's no question that the roster is going to get a makeover and needs a makeover. Um, and I, quite frankly, think the coaching staff needs a little bit of some work. Um, but I, I think if you're not going to move on from your head coach, um, but I, I think it just changes. So if you go 2-30, and 30, Look, I mean, uh, uh, 12 and 20 next year is still really bad for Louisville. I mean, remember 13 and 19 last year was like the sky is falling in, in the city. So, you know, I, I would say try to, you got to get to 500. And in college basketball, it, this isn't like college football where you've got, you know, 85 scholarships and you're trying to remake a roster in three years. This is college basketball. 
And you can be like Kevin Willard, although I know they've kind of hit uh, a little bit of struggles at Maryland. You could be like um, um, Matt McMahon at LSU, uh, though I know they're, they've had some struggles as well. Uh, but you can redo a whole roster in, in the off season, And it's a lot to ask a coach to build a team around that. But I don't, I don't think there's any questions they have to. So for me, I think regardless of how this season ends, you know, you're, you're probably looking at a sign of success is, is getting back to 500 and being much, much, much more competitive in the ACC. That would be kind of my general assessment. All right, we'll give you a chance here because I know you're chomping at the bit to get here. Pitt basketball is resurgent. They're, yes! they're, they're, they're They've won four of their last five. Their only loss was somehow to, to Florida State at home, which was bizarre. But they're coming off of a big win over Miami. They've got another big one tomorrow or tonight, I should say, against North Carolina. Are the Panthers back? A lot of people are asking this question all across the country. Is Jeff Capel the man? <laughs> is Pitt back? Are they here to stay? What say you? Well, first of all, I just want to make sure that everyone is aware of this. I have never wavered from my opinion that Jeff Capel is absolutely the right guy for the job at Pitt. I've That's never said otherwise. It's a straight line. I don't want any of you to look up any of my tweets or listen to any of my podcasts or, or anything to look uh, and listen for, for those comments. Uh, he is the perfect man for the job. Um, but in all seriousness, no, I mean, I think there are, I think the best part about it for me, and I know Louisville fans appreciate this from teams that they have had, like Pitt's not going to go to the final four. They're not going to win the national championship. They, you know, they'll probably, they'll make the tournament. I'd be surprised if they got out of the first weekend, uh, or even really won a game, but they're fun to watch. And that, I just missed that. I, I don't care if you go 20 and 15, if you're fun to watch, that's all I ask for, especially after some of the seasons that they had um, in, in the Kevin Stallings years and then the early stages of Jeff Capel. So for me and my friends who, who I'm on, uh, like we all are, we're all on our uh, group text with all of our idiot friends. Um, my very idiot friends are all very excited. And um, if nothing else, it just feels like a program that has a bunch of fans who want them to be fun and want to go to games and stuff. And so that, that to me has been the best part is just having some meaningful games and having the student section ramped up and, and all that stuff. So um, I'm just enjoying the ride after the last, God knows what, eight years that have just been miserable uh, for any alum and any fan of, of the Pitt Panthers. So it's, uh, it's fun. Mike, I, I have to ask you, though. Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like, you know, yearning, and one being like, yeah, you know, whatever. What's your one to ten rating of how much you miss the like mid to late two thousands, early twenty tens Big East? Because I'm at about a nine and a half. I was literally going to say nine and a half before you you gave your answer there. I mean, it was one. Louisville was good, and they weren't two and nineteen. And I wasn't finding creative ways to say the same thing <laughs> every day for three hours. Uh, so that was cool. I, I enjoyed that. Two. It was. I mean, it was just. It, it was the be- The ACC is fun. Don't get me wrong, but one like the conference hasn't been quite as good as I think we thought it was going to be. Like this year, it's it's down again. There's not. I think it's always been good at the top, but maybe the middle hasn't been as strong as those Big East years. Plus, you don't have that same at least with us that hatred. Like we joined the Big East, and I felt like you could you could still feel the hate. Like we developed these rivalries with Marquette very quickly that we brought over with us from CUSA. I feel like Louisville and Pitt had a nice little back and forth. Louisville and Syracuse had a nice little back and forth. Louisville and West Virginia were able to carry over. Like there was just it felt like a 
I don't know. It was basketball heaven. And then it ended with the best event of all time, which was the, the biggest tournament in Madison Square Garden. Yes. It was just the yes. absolute best. I miss it every damn day. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it is sad. Um, speaking of the ACC being down, i got two quick questions here before we let you get out of here. The ACC, I think it is down. It saved itself last year with a, a few deep runs in the NCAA tournament, uh, having three of the teams in the Elite Eight. If I asked you right now, which team in the ACC winds up playing the deepest into the NCAA tournament, who do you say? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I, I would say there's probably two that, that immediately jump to mind. I really, really like uh, Virginia. I mean, I, I, just, I know that they're boring and people don't like them, but I just think they're back to kind of the grinded out uh, teams that Tony Bennett uh, is used to having. I feel like they're definitely a second weekend team and, and uh, once again, uh, you know, veteran guys who are who are just understanding what he wants out of them and, and they just look like a team that's going to make a run. Um, the other team that I think, you know, just because of last year is stuck in my mind is no matter what type of season they have, I just keep assuming that Carolina will get hot. Uh, in March with the guys they have because they do have obviously so much talent you just got to figure that they'll show up in March or they'll crash and burn in the first round but probably those two teams the team that I'm like outside of obviously Pitt the the team that I'm like rooting for just to see where they go is is Clemson Uh, I would love to see Clemson randomly have like a really uh, them and NC State both were kind of pegged as teams that you know, who thought would probably struggle a little bit. I thought Brad, uh, Brad Brownell was probably on his way out, um, and they've turned around and had a really strong season. So um, those are kind of the two dark horse um, teams that I look at, but definitely definitely Virginia and then maybe I, I would say Carolina number two. I'm telling you right now, I'm calling this on February 1st. North Carolina's going to trick everybody. I-, I thought they were going to be better. They were my preseason national title pick. They're going to get hot at the end of the year. They're going to win the ACC tournament. They're going to be a trendy national title pick. It's like a four seed. And they're going to get beaten the, in the, the round of 32 or the Sweet 16. I'm calling that right now. I'm putting it out there. They're bored. They're not checked in. But if I had to ask you, <laughs> last question. We've got a couple minutes here. <clears throat> it is a wide-open season. It's become the new narrative. A lot of chances to have a first-time national champion come the first Monday in April. If you had the chance to win $8 billion by correctly picking the national champion, here today, who do you take? Ooh, um, well, first of all, I'd love a crack at that much money. That would sure. be great. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I would. I, I'm picking. I'm thinking between two teams for those for those teams that um, you know are um, really good. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. Houston has been the Final Fours, but they have not won. Correct. This is correct. Okay, so Houston is definitely on my list. I love Houston. And I think, you know, what, what really sticks out to me is they have a team that has experienced runs in the tournament and has experienced good teams. I think that's really important for, for um, you look at, I mean, how Louisville fans know from 2012 to 2013, the experience of the 2012 run surely that helped uh, in 2013. You have to think that that experience of just knowing what to do and knowing the the way the tournament works um, helped a lot. So I like Houston. Uh, and then, you know, I know this probably pains uh, any IU fans that we have uh, listening to us right now, but I really like Purdue. I, I mean, I, I feel like they're probably going to do Purdue, uh, the usual Purdue, and you kind of have to wait for them to prove otherwise. Uh, but 
Um, I, I really like them. I thought their team last year had a great path uh, to the tournament once St. Peter's won uh, to the Final Four, and they kind of blew it. Um, so maybe maybe this year is the year after uh, the the like the Virginia level letdown uh, the year before Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome won the national title for them. I like it, Jeff. Always great stuff uh, per usual. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Enjoy the hoops tonight. All right, see you, buddy. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Jeff Greer. We'll take a break now. Come back. Hour number three is on the way. Keith Wynn will join us at 5.15 to talk some Cardinal football, and then we'll get you ready for Louisville Georgia Tech tonight. Keep it locked right here on 1450 The Big X. The steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind, and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boy said my Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through. The whole day. Just an old sweet song. The song this pretty should not be used as they lead into a conversation about two basketball teams with a combined one in twenty conference record that are getting ready to play tonight. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ray. Oh, that's a classic. It is a classic. I like to think about it more as Georgia for the season opener in football is on our mind. <laughs> Going about, down to Atlanta, playing Georgia Tech. What about uh, the, the other choice was uh, the night the lights went out in Georgia? Probably that, better. That, that would have been better, yeah. That could work a little bit better. I, I like it. I get. I, I like the Georgia feel, but it just, it, it's too smooth. It's too nice. It's too too good of a song. It sounds too pleasing to be talking about a game where the two teams are woeful. The, the two worst teams in the ACC. But that's what we're getting you ready for. It is tonight. The cards in action against Georgia Tech, 7 o'clock tip-off out there at the KFCM Center. Pre-game coverage is about to kick off at 5.30 over on 970 WGTK. Valley Sports South has the television coverage tonight or whatever regional sports network is in the area where you live. Georgia Tech currently a two-point favorite over the cards. These are the two worst teams in the ACC. I've already gone on record. I think Louisville's winning tonight. I, I, I do. I think Georgia Tech is bad. I think they've quit on the season. I think they're playing their worst basketball of the year. It's not... <laughs> It's not so much about Louisville as it is about Georgia Tech. I think the cards, they're not going winless. They're getting the dub tonight. We're going to celebrate tomorrow. It's going to be great. Uh, but that's going to happen tonight. If it doesn't, then it's you know, it'll sting a little bit. But we've already been stung enough. It, it, you can't kill us. We're already dead. Welcome into the 5 o'clock hour here the Mike Rutherford Show. We're going to have Keith Wynn on at 5.15, about 10 minutes from now, to talk about Cardinal football. It was National Signing Day, even though the real National Signing Day kind of become the early signing day in December. This technically, this, this used to be a a big-time celebratory day. People would take off work. People would, you know, have the signing day parties. It was always, you know, right there at the beginning of February, and now it's kind of become an afterthought because most top-tier recruits go ahead and, and sign their national letters of intent on that early signing day in December. And also the transfer portal, I think, has watered down the impact of, of this the second signing day. But Jeff Brom did talk to the media today. We played that for you in the first hour. Had some... Some encouraging things to say about what he's seen so far, uh, how this offseason has gone, this, these first couple of months on the job, about rounding out that coaching staff. We'll talk to Keith Wynn about all that coming up in here in about uh, 10 minutes. We also we played Who Said It, Josh Pastner or Michael Scott with Gary. He did horribly. Um, worse than I even thought. 
He, he got eight out of twenty correct. It was worse bad. than I thought too. <laughs> I thought I thought you'd at least hit double figures, but again, that seemed I, I thought this basketball team would at least hit double figures. So maybe it's me. Maybe my expectations are being set high in all avenues of life. But it you was, know what it I went feel badly. like. You know what I feel like right now. What's that? A contestant that goes on Jeopardy and and goes into negative numbers and doesn't get to play final Jeopardy. <sighs> yeah. How do you think you do on Jeopardy? Um, not well. There are days where I'm playing from home and I'm like, you know, I think I could actually do like, If you get the right categories, I'm like, I could do okay. And then I, in reality, I think I know that I would do exactly what you just said. I, when I'd buzzed in, I'd get a couple of questions wrong early and then I'd be so panicked that I would just, I'd get out of my element. It would be, it would be terrible. I would do well on celebrity jeopardy because they really <laughs> dumb down, down those questions. And and it seems now that that Alex is gone, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. That uh, Milam Bialik has been hosting uh, the cele- Celebrity Jeopardy on ABC. It seems like the questions are dumber now than they used to be. Yeah, I mean, this war took place in 1812. Yeah, there's a lot. What of is that. the uh, the War of 1812? I I, I interviewed once. I did a story when I was working in college at the, the Bellman PR office. There was a grad of, of Bellman who had done well on Jeopardy. I think he'd won like. It was like six or seven times in a row, and I interviewed him about it, and it was fascinating hearing the experience because, like, I I guess I was naive at that point. I didn't know how it worked at all. He was talking about how, you know, they shoot all five episodes for the week in one day. They tell you to bring five changes of clothes because you're not sure when you're going to be calling. Everybody shows up at the same time. Like, all the winner come, shows up, and then you could be one of the two people that are playing with them on Monday, or you could be starting on Tuesday, or you could be playing one game on Friday. And he's like, so you you sit there, you have no idea what's going on. It all happens. And he's like, the thing that, that you can't really understand until you've actually played it is how fast it is when you're out there. Like, yeah. you're watching on TV and you think, well, it's kind of edited. Maybe they speed. You're like, well, no. Let me hit pause here. Yeah, th- <laughs> think there's, about it. There's no time to celebrate correct answers. <laughs> there's no time to be mad at yourself. Like, it's it's bam, bam, bam. And he's like, and then you win. And then it's like, you you, you rest for a little bit. Alex talks to the audience. And then you're back back out there. It's really hard to get on the show because I worked with two people who tried out when jeopardy the last time jeopardy was in louisville and they give you um they give you a test like a hundred question test and it's from what i hear and the two people that i knew that took the test were were pretty sharp pretty bright and uh they just came out shaking their head going man it was tough yeah yeah I, i've never even tried i know i wouldn't get on but there are days where like you're you're just kind of in the groove the categories are right and you're like you know what I'm kicking all these people's ass. I, I'm way ahead. And I know if I ever got on there, I would just choke and be in the red. And terrible. then there's other days where you think, eh, let's, yeah, they, they, let's see what's on DRB. <laughs> I know nothing about lakes and rivers. I, I, I just don't. It's, outside of the United States, I've got nothing for you. The Rhine and the Danube, I, once you get out of that element, I've got nothing. I'm just guessing. I'm guessing the Red Sea every time there's a question. Oh, whenever they ask questions about Europe, I'm just, I'm lost. It's it's bad. Yeah. Uh, it's bad. Uh, 502-414-1450 is the Thornton text line. Fill up the, the, the text line here. We'll take some after we talk to Keith. Uh, a couple of notes to get to before we get into that conversation. The latest ESPN women's basketball bracketology is out. Louisville, which has been up and down, certainly in, in recent weeks. We've talked about the struggles of Haley Van Lith and the struggles of the entire team. They're in the field of 68 for the time being. They are an eight seed, which is, this is unusual for us. Uh, TK and I went and, and looked back at the the recent years, and I mean, Louisville's basically been a, a one, two, or a three seed for, it feels like the better part of a decade. They've been a one or a two seed the last four years. Uh, we kind of assumed that would be the case again this season with a preseason top 10 ranking. They have not lived up to that billing just yet, but 
the ESPN Bracketologist. Uh, they've got Louisville right now as an 18 taking on Illinois in the first round. In this bracket, if they won, they would have a rematch against the team that knocked them out of the Final Four last year, South Carolina, who is the the number one seed there in the Greenville region. So here's hoping we can get things rolling a little bit. Louisville, uh, still a chance to get hot before conference tournament play rolls around. They will take on North Carolina this weekend in a big game on Sunday. That's a noon ESPN2 tip-off at the KFC Um Center. Should be a great environment, and if you can't make it out, you'll have a national TV opportunity to watch the team play. They do still have also two games left against Notre Dame. Those are both quad one opportunities. Notre Dame is a number is the number nine team in the country. So, you know, I think if they take two of these three, Carolina, Notre Dame, the two games there, if you take two of those three and then win the other games you're supposed to win, Miami's a decent team. Um, Clemson's, you should beat. At BC, you should win that game. Virginia, on the road, they're okay. I think that could be a little bit tight, but you sh- you're going to be favored in all those games. Split the, the uh, Take two or three from Carolina in the two games against Notre Dame. Win the other four games you've got. Maybe win a game or two in the NCAA tournament. Get a five or a six seed. Make a run. I, I think that they, it's still very doable for this team. They've just got to get it going a little bit. They've just got to find that, that clicking that Jeff Walls keeps talking about not being able to find the right combination of players. Um, the There was an analyst for 24-7 Sports, I'm trying to find, uh, Brian Tone, who had a, a clip today, I was going to play a little bit earlier, we don't have time, where he talked about Pierce Clarkson being the first ACC quarterback to see the field as a true freshman in 2023. I thought it was interesting, and we'll talk to Keith uh, about this coming up here in a few minutes. You know, Jeff Brown was asked specifically about Jack Plummer, and the quarterback position being an open competition. And he said it's an open competition, but his comments afterwards sort of emphasized the fact that Jack Plummer is going into spring practice. He's going to go into fall camp as the presumed starter. Like that seems, I think the way that Jeff phrased it was, we brought him in here for a reason. We brought him in here to do a job. I'm sure they told him when they were recruiting him, like your prop, like, you're going to get first crack at being the starter. If Pierce Clarkson comes in and just sets the world on fire in the spring and the summer and just looks markedly better than Plummer, then that's one thing. But if it's at all comparable, if Plummer looks slightly ahead, like he's going to get the benefit of the doubt because he knows the system. He's been a starting quarterback at a Power 5 level now for multiple years. He's comfortable with Jeff Brom as his head coach. He knows the lay of the land in major college football. I think that that's... It seems to be a foregone conclusion, but I like that Brom also mentioned, you know, Clarkson will will play. He's like, Brock Doman's got experience here too. He's going to get a shot to compete for the job. He didn't mention Caleb Johnson by name, but he did say, you know, we've got some other quarterbacks out there that will compete. A quarterback's never, or a coach is never going to hand a job out to anybody, but he more or less said, Jack Plummer, unless something wild happens, it seems like he's going to be the starter. More quick notes here to get to before we talk to Keith. Uh, Louisville Sinclair Savage, great name, has been named the ACC Women's Field uh, Track and Field Performer of the Week. She killed it there. Uh, also, joining the, the football program, Alan Houston III. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he is, in fact, the son of former Ballard High and NBA star Alan Houston. He's transferring to Louisville. He's a wide receiver. He played the last three seasons at Brown University in the Ivy League. Uh, he was hurt in his freshman season. There was no Ivy League football in 2020 because of COVID. Last year, uh, he he played in 11 of 12 games for Brown, put up decent numbers. I don't think he's going to be a big-time playmaker, but 
adds depth to the wide receiver position and always good to have an Al Houston in the program. We're, we're finally getting our Al Houston. It's just coming about three decades too late. Uh, we mentioned a couple of the other walk-ons yesterday on the show. Local guys. It's nice to have the local ties back in, whether they're familiar names or local players. James Glover Tyson from DeSales. Big time, uh, big size offensive lineman who maybe you could, a little bit of a project right now, maybe you could work into him being a contributor to Trinity High School punter Carter Schwartz. Uh, is also committed to Louisville. Could be the heir apparent to Mark Vassett. And then the um, Jackson Panarello from St. X, who he's the one, if you're looking at the next local player who could potentially follow that that Marshawn Ford, that Ramon Perrier, that Mason Riger uh, mold of coming in as a walk-on, working hard in practice, eventually getting a scholarship, and then becoming a big-time contributor. I think he's the one that you circle out of this group. Everybody who's been around Sanex football ha- has said he's been, look, the best defensive player we've had for multiple seasons, one of the best defensive players in the entire state. He also, it doesn't get mentioned a whole lot, he's the son of LeBradford Smith, so he also is a legacy uh, here. I know that he, I don't think he, I don't know what his relationship is with LeBradford. I know he doesn't have his last name, but he is LeBradford Smith's son, so clearly great genes, a lot of UofL history there. I, I think that he's a guy that you can circle and say a couple of years down the line, I can see him getting a scholarship. I can see him being a big-time contributor for us. Um, so nice to see Jeff Brom dipping into the local talent pool, both with scholarship players and with walk-ons. All right, do we have Keith ready to go? All right, uh, joining us now, the deputy editor for CardChronicle.com. You know him from his football coverage. You hear him on the radio. You love getting blocked by him on Twitter. He is Keith Wynn. He joins us back on the show here. Keith, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Doing well. Um, we were talking kind of broadly at the beginning of this hour. It's weird how National Signing Day, you know, this this day in early February, like 10 years ago, it was the biggest thing in the world. Like the, the time stood still. And now because of early signing day and because of, to a lesser extent, the transfer portal, it's just kind of, you know, there's not as much movement here. Kids aren't really, the biggest kids have already signed. It's just, it's a different feel. Like I, I kind of, I don't think I even realized that National Signing Day was today until late last night. Yeah, it's definitely not not fun anymore. Uh, and then, you know, you throw in the fact that the first, the, the early signing day is right in the middle of bowl season, coaching, you know, carousel stuff. And, you know, just the signing day in general is just not nearly as fun as it used to be. Um, and, you know, I know there's some talk about changing the, the calendar and things like that. It'd be really great if they if they fixed it to a way that at least either the early signing period is before the senior season starts for these kids or, or if they push it back a little bit so that, yeah, this used to be one of the more fun days of the year, uh, and it's just, yeah, it's 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 almost nothing anymore. Let's talk about what what did happen today. Though Louisville did officially sign a player that we knew was was coming here, and Joe Crocker, uh, another offensive lineman who I think down the line could could really help this team. He says uh, he's very comfortable with the staff, comfortable with the the other freshman offensive linemen who are already there in the fold. Uh, how big of a deal is it to sign sign Joe Crocker? You know, I think I think it's it's. He's a big get. I mean, it's it's funny because the the standards change so quickly for Louisville with them having such a you know bringing higher level players in. A guy like Joe Crockett would have been one of the top you know recruits in the class two two years ago, four years ago, even five years ago. Um, you know, so I think it's kind of it's interesting. You know, he's he's the third lowest rated player I think in the class right now uh, from you know two four sevens composite rankings, uh, but he would have been one of the top guys and. You know, six foot six, three hundred and ten, three hundred fifteen pound guy. Uh, I mean, you can't teach that kind of size. Uh, he has really good feet. Um, you know, for for a guy's size, you know, some things to work on. You know, just like any other high school offensive lineman. 
But like I said, he's he's got the size, but he also has a nice build to him. You know, so I think he'll be able to come in, uh, you know, work, you know, just work on his body, get used to playing the college game, and you know, he'll be able to provide some depth pretty early on in his career. Uh, in Louisville, you know, right now they're they're pretty good at the top of their their offensive line depth chart, but there's still so much unknown for the guys that we haven't seen play that I think that some of these newer guys can come in and work themselves into the rotation uh, and be able to get on the field earlier than, than most offensive linemen do. So I think adding a guy, a third, a third offensive lineman, that can come in and, and add, add to this room where you have a foundation to build on uh, with the new staff, I think it's a really big get, uh, maybe a little bit under the radar because of who they be able to get that's maybe a little bit higher rate in the class. The other player that people are waiting on, uh, Wu Spencer, formerly at Mail High School, now at New Albany, is going to pick between Louisville, Kentucky, and Michigan State coming up at 6.30. A lot of people think that it's it's Louisville and Kentucky. He'd been a Kentucky lean for a long time. Jeff Brown makes a late push, and they visited with him over the weekend, uh, the last, I think, school to visit with him before this announcement coming. What do you expect to hear, and, and how big of a deal is this commitment, whether Louisville gets him or doesn't get him? Um, you know, all signs point to Kentucky at this point. Um, you know, usually when you know the, the national recruiting guys start making their predictions, and you see it kind of come in mass, that typically comes out to the player, or the recruit. You know, informs the staff of what they're going to do. Um, so that's that's my expectation. But it sounds like uh, you know, it seems like he's, he's kind of wavering back and forth, and so you never know what's going to happen at the last minute. But um, you know, he's a, he's a really good player. Uh, watched a lot of him last night. Uh, you know, preparing for you know a, a post just in case he does he does sign and you know he's you know another guy you can't teach that kind of size six foot five three hundred fifteen pounds uh, plays with a really good motor which you know when you get to the three hundred pound plus guys especially at the high school level typically when you when you turn on those highlights you get a lot of lazy play um, you know but he, he reminded me somewhat of to Fleet Thomas who you know signed last year with Louisville out of Florida or out of Miami and came in and played as a freshman, you know, one of the things that stood out is that he really played with the motor of a guy much smaller. So you see a little bit of that in Lou Spencer. Uh, I think he's a guy that's going to be able to go, you know, whether it be Louisville or Kentucky, and get on the field uh, because of that motor. Um, but I think he's a really athletic guy. And, you know, it, it's it's a tough loss. I think Louisville needs to add some depth at defensive tackle. Uh, you know, Kendrick Gilbert, who's a guy that was committed to Purdue, flipped to Kentucky today also. A guy that you kind of hope that maybe the staff will be able to bring on with uh, with them bringing in Mark Hagan and Ron English. So obviously you were hoping that maybe you know he would follow the defensive staff here. Unfortunately, uh, not. So I think they're going to have to look at the portal uh, to maybe add some depth. And I think a lot of this depends on. We haven't heard anything about Jermaine Lole and whether or not he's going to be back officially, not officially. If he's healthy, all those things like that. Um, but if he's back, maybe you just add some depth. If not, you maybe need to go out there and get another guy that you feel can come in and really contribute at the top of your depth chart as a defensive tackle next year. We were talking before you came on there about Brom kind of following what Scott Satterfield had done really well here. And while Satterfield was criticized for not locking up some of the, the higher-rated local players, he did take a lot of preferred walk-ons from the area, and a lot of those guys wound up earning scholarships and becoming contributors down the line. Brom kind of doing the same thing now. You had uh, Jackson Panarello, who we were just talking about from St. X. You had the the offensive tackle from uh, from DeSales. You had an offensive lineman from Eastern a couple of weeks ago. You got the punter from Trinity now. I mean, is this a, a smart philosophy to try to, I guess, embed himself here in the local recruiting scene early on in his, his tenure at Louisville? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good way of making sure that you stay in good, good, 
you know, your your relationships stay well with the local coaches while not being uh, pinned down to having to take guys that you don't feel can play for you. So, you know, one thing that, you know, we've seen over the last handful of years is there have been some guys that are local that ended up going elsewhere that the staff just didn't feel could play in Louisville. And that's, that's to me, the proper way of going about it. You know, you don't want to take guys. It's not good for the player or the or the coach or the school to, to take a guy that you don't feel like can play here because they're just going to end up transferring out and you end up with a lot of hurt feelings and things like that. Going and making sure that you're getting the relationships with these guys to take the, take the guys that maybe don't have a scholarship offer but giving them the opportunity to earn it is the proper way of going about doing that where you can keep your relationships really good with the coaches where you can take guys who maybe don't have an opportunity to get a scholarship elsewhere and see if they can contribute for you. But you don't want to be in a position where you're just taking guys that you know maybe can play at the you know, high FCS level, can maybe play at the G5 level, but really aren't ACC caliber players. You don't want to get kind of tied into that as the guy, you know, to, to make sure you keep those relationships, but you want to make sure you take guys that have the opportunity to come here, pay their own way, and maybe get that chance, or get an opportunity to get film at this level and then transfer to another school and get their opportunity to play at a higher level than they would have coming out of high school. It's talking some football here with Keith Wynn on 1450 and 961 The Big X. As far as, because we're wrapping up now this class, I've seen a lot of people post the stats. It's going to, by average player ranking, be the highest rated recruiting class in the history of Louisville football. I think the question now is, where does Jeff Brom go from here? I mean, you had, however it happened this past year, you were able to get some of the best players out of California and other places across the country. You didn't recruit a whole lot of kids locally. Brom was able to get in there at the end and get some local kids to flip from Purdue. What's his strategy now going forward? Is it a little bit of both? Do you try to keep the local kids intact? Do you try to to expand upon this this weird California pipeline that you've got going on now? What what do you think that he does recruiting moving forward? You know, I think they have to keep the national strategy. I mean, I think that you know, there's, I think we've seen that it can happen, right? It can be done, and and I think you've got to find a way to continue building on that. You know, you think about the California, you know, kids that they got. That wasn't really, you know, getting and landing those kids happened this year, but they've really been out there for a long time. They've gotten some California guys to come out and visit, uh, take official visits, and it finally kind of just clicked this year, and Pierce Carson was obviously a huge factor of that. But even stepping away from California, you know, they at Purdue, they were, they were able to get down in Texas and get some four-star kids out of Texas uh, from time to time. They've recruited up to New York and got some quarterbacks from New York. I mean, they've really shown that Purdue that they were willing to step outside of their, you know, kind of normal footprint. You know, they've got to find a way to build that. Uh, I was really happy to hear that they're going to expand the recruiting staff, and, and I think they need to. Uh, right now, they're about where they were under Satterfield with three main recruiting guys, and they've got to replace some people. But I hope they expand that because <clears throat> going forward, I mean, the, the local guys, you've got to be able to get the guys that you feel like you want, but it can't be – your focus. It just can't. That's, 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 you're not going to get the level of talent and the numbers that you need without getting outside, getting down to places like Georgia, Georgia, uh, expanding what they've already been able to do in Florida. I mean, they're, they're back in Florida like they were when Charlie Strong was there. And I think they can take that and expand that more. They've got to really be able to get it to the national level. And it's not necessarily, hey, get out to California, but you've got to continue what you have in California so that when there are guys that maybe have some interest, some guys that you feel like you have a, you have your foot in the door with, that you can actually bring them in. And I think that's where they've got to find a, 
uh, a way to really kind of be able to do both, I guess. But really, you know, I, I know that they want to have a local mindset in keeping these guys home, but they've got to make sure they're not taking local guys that maybe can't play this level as opposed to getting out in the national level and finding some other guys that they know can play this level. And so they've got to find a way to do that. And hopefully Jeff, with his local ties and, and having the trust of coaches around, can find a way to make sure he's keeping those relationships well without taking it just everybody. Brom announced this week the completion of his coaching staff. He named Mark Hagan, uh, who's going to be the defensive line coach and also the co-defensive coordinator with Ron English. So we now we know that who the coaches are. We know what the designations are uh, on defense. Your overall thoughts on Jeff Brom's first coaching staff. Is, is it what you wanted to see? Would you have liked to have seen a little bit of something else? How do we stand going into this 2023 year? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a good staff. I like I like the you know the familiarity uh, from his standpoint. I think he he knows his guys. He can trust the guys that he brought on. I love the fact that they kept Mark Ivy. Um, you know, I, I I like most of the Louisville staff, especially last year's staff. So you know, any of those guys, I probably would have been happy with them keeping. But I really like Mark Ivy from a standpoint that the players really seem to really really play for him. I think he's got a great you know reputation with the fan base. So I'm really happy they were able to keep Mark Ivy. Um, and, you know, the rest of the staff, Steve Ellis has a great track record of putting guys in the NFL. You know, it was really interesting when they hired him. I, had, I didn't know anything about the guy. But 10 seconds to read his bio, you're like, God, there's guys all over the NFL that play for this guy uh, that he recruited, that he developed. Um, he had guys all over the playoffs this past week um, playing at the NFL level that, that, that play for him. And I thought that was really, uh, really important to get a guy that has the results. I mean, your results as an assistant coach is what do your players do when you coach them and how far can they get? And he's put guys in the NFL, so that's obviously a great hire. Um, and I think that, you know, you know, as I pointed out before, these, this staff, the majority of these guys, just won the division in the Big Ten. They deserve the benefit of the doubt to show if they can come here and do the same thing or, or coach at that same level. You know, and my thing is that, you know, over time, if things aren't going right, then just got to show that you can go out and get other coaches and, and hire at a high level. So, you know, for the first staff, him being familiar with it, um, you know, with the guys, guys having ties to Louisville might work out from a standpoint of getting that buy-in and getting things going forward. Uh, but if things don't go well, you know, you know, we get the opportunity to see if he can go out and get better coaches or coaches that can do things differently, and uh, we'll see how it goes. The first time we're going to get a chance to see Jeff Brom's team is going to be spring game. We're going to see a little bit of them during spring practice. We'll hear some stuff come out of that. It's a different philosophy now. Scott Satterfield loved the early spring practice. Last year, uh, the card started on February 28th, and then they had that spring game, which really wasn't a spring game, on April 3rd. This year, Louisville not getting started until March 20th, and then they'll have the spring game on the eve of Thunder over Louisville on April 21st. What do you feel about the change of philosophy? This is kind of going back to the way that it was before Satterfield was there. Do you welcome the change, or did you kind of like it the way that, that Satterfield was doing it? I love the Friday night spring game. I think it's really cool. I think I think any opportunity that Louisville can have to showcase their team, uh, to get fans in front of their team and out, out and watch their team is something they should do. Um, I, I, I never liked the fact that they really didn't. You know, Scott, every coach has their way. It's just, you know, from my own personal opinion, I, I wish that Scott Satterfield came here and kind of had that same mindset of, hey, let's get the players out there in front of, front of the fans and let them see what they do. Um, you know, but I, I understood – Scott's mindset of getting the spring done early to give more time to rest injuries and whatnot, but that also led to sometimes having guys that are still injured from the previous season where you didn't, you know, half the team was out. So 
Uh, and that happened last year where they were missing so many guys that it was just kind of, you know, you're, you're working in the spring and, you know, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I, you had a lot of guys miss. So I, I got it. Uh, but I think at the same time, it didn't really make a ton of sense to miss, have so many guys missing. So I like the idea of going late. I love the idea of giving the fans kind of that showcase spring game right before Derby starts. Um, you know, it's a perfect idea. I hope that they open up some of the, some of the practices so fans and media can come by. Um, I've always enjoyed that. I think, you know, I've gone to most of those practices. There's a good amount of fans out there that really enjoy being able to just go out to the players play. So uh, I hope that, you know, just in general with Jeff taking over, that he has that mindset of just getting the fans more involved with the team in any way they can and getting his players out in front of fans. I think it's just something in college football with the way that it goes. There's nothing else going on during that time of year. It's even worse right now with basketball not going well. Get get football the the center stage when you have that opportunity. Is basketball not going well? Is that is that a thing that's happening? Is. is that a thing that's happening right yeah. now? Yeah, uh, I agree. Especially in this year specifically. I mean, you've got not only do you have a new head coach that people are excited about. But you've got, I mean, there's a lot of intrigue about the quarterback position, which I think is the one position that you can really focus on during the spring game. You know, sometimes you can't, you can't really see about the defense. It's, it's tilted in a way that makes it almost unwatchable. I think people are curious to see Jack Plummer. I think people are curious to see Pierce Clarkson. I think people are curious to see Caleb Johnson. We haven't seen anything of him. I, I think that added intrigue and the increase in, th- in enthusiasm, it should make for a, a really fun spring. I mean, there have been red-white scrimmages on the basketball side where in years where you have all these newcomers, it's far more interesting than in years where everybody's coming back and you know they're going to be good, but you're kind of aware of what everyone brings to the table. Is that kind of your mindset going into this year? I mean, I feel like we're going to see a whole bunch of new guys, wide receiver and quarterback and running back and all these exciting positions. Absolutely. I mean, I think Louisville lost a lot of contributors. You know, and the roster's not, you know, I don't want to say that and make people think the roster's not good and they, they left them buried. Uh, that's not the case. There's just a lot of young guys that got some minutes, not a lot of minutes, plenty, you know, we got to see flashes of that we're going to now be able to see them playing much more, even in practice, than we used to see. And, you know, you have guys, even on, you know, when you talk about the defense, but it's still fun to see a guy like Popeye Williams who, you know, people know. People know the name, you know, and so you want to see guys like him come out and see what he can do. And you have guys, you know, at the wide receiver position who are coming in from the transfer portal that you can, you know, you want to see, man, I hear these guys are really fast. You want to see if these guys have that speed. You know, you want to see if, you know, Jawar Jordan is going to take that next step and be the feature back, you know, after having such a great end of the season. You know, there are so many guys coming back and so many guys coming in that are just exciting. And then you get to see what Jeff Brom, how he does things, what his practices are like, and just, just feed that excitement of just, you know, the unknown that we don't know, you get to see it a little bit. So I hope that they do take that route. The spring game is, is, is plenty, if not, but it would be really cool to just give those other opportunities for folks to come out. Maybe it's a Saturday morning, maybe it's an afternoon practice, whatever it may be, to see the new faces and the new guys. And it just builds that excitement because coming into next year, there's a potential for this to be a big season. And you can kind of start it rolling now and get the excitement going even more so that when they maybe start off fast next season, it just builds that much more momentum towards a good season. We found out the the schedule on Monday. We knew the opponents, but now we have the layout. Two Friday night games, including the season opener against Georgia Tech. Two Thursday games, uh, including the, the first home game against Murray State. Your just general thoughts on the schedule, the way that it lays out. Good thing, bad thing, interesting thing, what have you. Couldn't have a better schedule for a new coach. 
I mean, no matter who the new coach is, no matter how the last season went, you couldn't have a better schedule. I mean, they have, uh, you know, you're starting off with Georgia Tech, who's obviously a, a program that struggled for the last few years. New coach, you know, a lot of new pieces there. Uh, but it's a Friday night game. Everyone's going to be watching. Uh, it's kind of, kind of, you know, uh, back to when Scott Satterfield got here and he had another Dame game where people are watching. Opportunity to just show what you can do. Uh, and then, you know, you really start off with four games where, you know, Louisville should be in a good in a good spot to win all four games. Uh, and, you know, so you couldn't have a better situation to start the season. And then you throw in the opponents, and you know, I'm sorry, there's not a team on Louisville's schedule that you really look at as like, hey, this team is looking to take that next step. They're going to be a juggernaut. There's no Clemson, you know. So you have the opportunity to really come in year one and have the have a chance to kind of set your 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 floor at around where you are, you know, eight wins, maybe even you know nine, and then your your ceiling could be ten wins, and and that's really uh, to me looking at the schedule on paper right now, knowing what we know right now, you know, in in February, uh, it, it really lines up really well for Jeff Brown to have a good first season to get, to get a few games to get things kind of worked out where you're not having any huge games early on in the season. And then they hit when they hit the middle of the season, when it gets tough, they really should be kind of hitting their stride. They should be able to work at all the kinks, smooth things out from the, you know, the, just the newness of everything. And I, I think it lines up really well for them to have a special season. But I think the other thing is that at worst, I can't imagine them being worse than the, you know, the, from a record standpoint, being worse than they were last year. And I think that's another plus because at, at worst, you're at least holding serve. And then, you know, you still have that momentum going to, going towards improvement. That stretch in the middle of the season there, I think the first four games, Louisville probably has a good chance to be favored in all of them. The stretch where it's at NC State versus Notre Dame at Pitt, that kind of, you always look at the schedule early on and you say that kind of feels like the defining stretch. Sometimes it winds up not being the case. But to me, that kind of feels like the stretch where you can go from 7-5 and five to 9-3 and three or vice versa. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, again, knowing what we know now, you know, that is a stretch where I, I do think that you're, you're – it's kind of perfect timing because you are you should be coming in on a high note, but you also should be smoothing things out where, you know, you're not going to – you know, you should be, you know, hit with a curveball, so to speak, where, well, yeah, they weren't really as good as we thought they were. You know, I think they have all the pieces uh, that they need to get where they need to be. They still have room to add more guys that's going to be able to help your depth and, and help with injuries and things like that, which we saw last year was a huge factor to be able to replace guys when guys go down. They still have some opportunity to do that in the portal. But I think the other thing was when you look at the opponents, you know, you're also looking at three teams there with new quarterbacks, uh, just like Louisville's going in with it. Uh, Notre, uh, I'm sorry. Um, NC State's got a new coordinator on offense. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of change there too. So there's nobody, you know, that kind of goes back to my point. I don't think there's anybody on the schedule that you look at as like that's a team that's ready to take that next step. You know, Florida State is ready to take that next step. They're going to be the team that you're like, hey, they've got a ton of guys coming back. Their coach has been there for a while. They've got that continuity going. And they're probably going to take another step forward. They're going to be a top-10 team to start the season. Don't even have to play them. So, you know, you have some of these things that you look at. You can make an argument that Duke, coming off the, you know, with, with what these teams did last year, Duke might have, might have had the second-best season. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy, but that's where you look at where they ended the season. You know, most of these teams are eight, nine-win teams, which Louisville, I think they were, what, second in the country and wins over eight-win eight teams. When you look at where the bar is right now, 
it's fair to kind of set the, I don't want to say set the standard, but expect maybe that Louisville can, t- can continue that trend and be able to win against these teams that are kind of at that, you know, right outside the top 25, right inside the top 25 level. They kind of did that this year, and maybe they can continue that with Jeff Brown coming in. All right, he is Keith Wynn. Follow him on Twitter at Keith underscore Wynn for all his football musings. Check out his work on cardchronicle.com. Keith, always appreciate the time, man. Good stuff as always. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, uh, big thanks to Keith, as always, for spending some time with us. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll read a few texts, and then we'll make our predictions for tonight's game against Georgia Tech. Keep it locked right here. Rutherford Show wrapping up after this. Will the good times roll tonight at the KFCM Center? Louisville taking on Georgia Tech. 7 o'clock tip-off. The pregame show has already started on 970 WGTK. But keep it locked right here for another 15 minutes or so as we get you ready for the game. Brandon Huntley-Hatfield, it looks like, based on reports from the Yum Center already, is still in a walking boot. Does not look like he will see the floor tonight, which means you're probably going to see more minutes for Emmanuel Okorafor, who looked pretty good in his debut run against Notre Dame. 18 uh, minutes played. Eight points, five rebounds. Didn't have four fouls. He's going to have to to work on that. The screens we saw from Okorafor, you can tell there's there's some things that they're going to have to get with him and say you you can't you can't do that. You can't just you can't tackle a guy. They're going to call that on you every time. He was a moving screen every single time he, he set one, just waiting to get called. Hopefully that can get figured out because I, I love the energy he brings to the table. Also, this fact from Kelly Dickey. Louisville is a home underdog versus a team with a losing record for just the second time ever. They're getting two points tonight against Georgia Tech, a Georgia Tech team that is 8-13 overall and just 1-10 in the ACC, which is kind of mind-blowing. But the only other time this has happened, less than a year ago, February 19th, 2022, 12-14 Clemson was a one-point favorite over UofL. And guess what happened then? The Cards ended a seven-game losing streak with a 70-61 to victory. History will repeat itself tonight, my friends. The Cards will go 2-0 in this forgettable scenario, and they will snap this time a 10-game losing streak, which, if you're keeping track at home via Kelly Dickey, is tied for the fourth longest in school history. Should they lose tonight, God forbid, they will tie the third longest losing streak in, uh, in program history, which was set by the 1920-21 Cardinal team. I, t- I take that back. Hold on. No, uh, The nineteen twenty cards, 21 cards, my apologies. The 1921-22 cards uh, lost 11 straight. I'm sure that team... Gathering tonight, holding their breath together, champagne on ice, hoping to uh, to avoid being joined in history. The longest losing streak in program history, if you're wondering, is 19 games, which was set between February 18th of 1939 and February 17th of 1940. God, let's hope we don't get there. If, if this team can give us nothing else. Because look, we've got over nine games left this season. If they lose out, we're setting a new program record for longest losing streak in history. That's the new goal. Don't set the longest losing streak in the history of the program. We're setting the bar as low as humanly possible. Just win a game between now and the end of the season, and you're going to avoid that level of history. We've already made enough. Let's get it out of the way tonight. Let's send Josh Pastner home crying. He's already on the way out. 
And real quickly, we'll, t- we'll take a couple texts here in a second, but if you're wondering why in the world I could have optimism, and optimism may be too strong. I'm predicting a victory. If they lost tonight, it would not shock me. If they lost every game the rest of the season, it would not shock me. It should not shock anybody. But this Georgia Tech team, they come in playing worse basketball than Louisville. They've lost seven straight. I know we've lost 10 straight. But their last five games, they've been blown out. Their last three, they've especially been blown out. They've lost their last three by a combined 84 points. Duke beat them by 43. Clemson housed them. A bad Syracuse team housed them. They've kind of quit on this season. I think they know that their head coach is not going to be here next year. He seems to be on the, the chopping block. I don't know if anything's going to save Josh Pastner's job. I think the players understand that. They seem to have quit more than we seem to have quit. We've at least, we were not overly competitive against Notre Dame, but we, say what you will, we cut a 30-point lead down to, to 12 at one point. We at least keep playing. When we get down by 30, some teams lose by 43, other teams lose by 14. Neither of those are good things. But the team that go, fights back and cuts it to a 14-point lead, I like their chances against the team that loses by 43. That's what I'm basing tonight's game on. Also, I think Tech's just is just not very good. They don't do anything well. I know we don't do anything well either. But if it comes down to, to effort and energy, I think we've got a fighting shot tonight. Let's get it done. A few texts on the Thornton's text line at 502-414-1450. Texas says, which do you prefer, talking about KP's disappointing season or spending the whole time talking about a coaching search? <sighs> They're both equally repetitive. At least with the season, though, you have new data points. Like the, the conversations are the same, but at least they're different games. Like we could talk about Emmanuel Corfor. We could talk about you know the new opponent coming up. We can. I mean, today we've talked about Georgia Tech and the chance to actually win. Like that's different than with the coaching search stuff. It was so repetitive, especially because you weren't hearing anything. Like you would hear snippets from the Josh Hurd camp, but it was never anything that you could really run with. It was, it was just the same stuff over and over, and people are just throwing out the same candidates and debating the same candidates. I still probably say I would take that over, over talking about a 2-19 and 19 season just because, at least with the coaching search, it may be repetitive, but it's, it's, it's important, and there's hope there, and there's excitement. With this, it's just, it, it's just sad. So I'll take the coaching search. Texas says, what was the name of the possible recruit from NBA Africa? Still confused why we were filling up scholarships. We need three to four high-level transfers next year, uh, not more young players. I don't know if it's out there. The, the texter who sent it in w- was was right with the name. It's the same name that I've heard. I, I, I haven't heard it anywhere else. I don't want to put it out there if it's not supposed to be, but I do think that we're getting another 6'9 player from, from NBA Africa. Texas I was trying to think of a program that really compares to Louisville basketball over the last decade. I think Louisville and UConn are very similar. Both have a national title in the last 10 years, three national titles total. UConn went through a coaching search debacle and had three straight losing seasons, including Danny Hurley's first season. Since 2018, now four straight winning seasons, and they're clearly back in the mix in the Big East. The point of this text is that Louisville can get back to the point of being great again, but it took UConn having three straight losing seasons before rising back up from the dead. Fair. I mean, I I would take... If we're going to suck during this era, I would take starting it off with a, a national championship like they did with Kevin Ollie over going two and, and whatever we're about to go. I mean, you kind of, as bad as they were at times, they, they've never been this far down. Um, and I think that it's, I, I, I get the slow build, but also I think you have to recognize that it's possible to do it faster. I think you, again, the Iowa State example, they won two games three years ago. They won 
or two or two years ago, I should say, they won 22 last year and went to the Sweet 16. Like in this day and age, you can kill it in the transfer portal if you have the coaching chops. You can get this thing turned around faster than than three or four years. But look, if he shows significant progress next year, if Louisville barely misses the NCAA tournament. I'm still saying that's a disappointment for me just because that's my expectation is year two, you should be in the tournament. But if he shows significant progress and they barely miss and maybe they go on an NIT run, then I think you can you can say, okay, the slow build's happening. Year three, let's get this thing going. Texas says, uh, this is Malik Turnheads at Senior Bowl practice. I saw that. I saw that he had... I saw that he, he did well last... I think it was the Shrine Bowl that he played in last week where, by the way, Keechel Clark was the defensive MVP. And there's, I don't I, I don't know if we're doing the Adam Froman thing again where people are just hyping up a Louisville quarterback that, that is not going to wind up being drafted. But if you just Twitter search Malik Cunningham's name, there's a lot of buzz out there about him. There are a lot of you know blogs and websites that cover NFL teams that are talking about Malik is a guy that we should take in the third, fourth, fifth round. We'll see how he does this week. I mean, he could make or break his draft status this week in practice for sure. The game is is secondary. How he does in practice is going to determine whether or not he has a shot at getting drafted. I think Keetra Clark, I mean, look at some of the, the tweets that I posted on, on Clark Chronicle today on the News and Notes post. He was spectacular, apparently, during practice. And, and coaches love the fact that he showed up. He had already researched all of the wide receivers that were on the other roster before he even showed up to, to Shrine Bowl practice. Coaches love that stuff, uh, and he, then he p- apparently performed really, really well in practice all week long and then was the defensive MVP of the game. So uh, props to all these guys that are trying. I think you saw um, uh, Trevor Reed had a, had a pancake during practice too that got shared pretty widely. So early on, at least, in the, in this process, some of these former cards that are hoping to be drafted are, are off to a good start. Texas, how I know that basketball isn't going too well. Instead of irrational anger and hate that has me sweating like Buzz Williams because of a Valley broadcast, I am indifferent. This might hurt more. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier to not be upset about a Valley's broadcast when the team is, is 2-19 and 19 and they're playing a team that's 8-13. and 13. But we do get Mike Jaminski tonight. He's back on the call. He's got the earring rocking. He's going to be great. Texas says, with regard to Wu Spencer, it is not realistic to expect him to commit to us when he never officially visited. It sounds like he's a, a UK lean. There was some buzz for UofL earlier in the week. It sounds like he's kind of flip-flopped as the week has gone on. But like he said, the, the late buzz seems to be on on UK. But who knows? Maybe he'll surprise us all coming up at 6.30. Texas says, is Jeff Greer secretly happy that this Louisville team is going to end up being worse than Pitt's 2017-18 team? Oh, he's thrilled. He's he's evil. Behind closed doors, he's absolutely celebrating this. He The joy in his voice that we are potentially going to supplant Kevin Stallings as the worst team in ACC history is is palpable. You, you can you can hear it when he talks. But if we win tonight, we will do something that team didn't do. And also that the Boston College team the year before didn't do. If you win a game in conference play, doesn't care that it was over a Georgia Tech team that has, I mean, awful talent, a coach who's on his way out, doesn't matter. Win that one game, you've got a leg up on all the 0-20 teams, all the 0-18 teams out there. Make it happen, guys. Texas says, in honor of Tom Brady's retirement, I'll be watching Man in the Arena on ESPN Plus instead of watching the Cards lose tonight. It'll be refreshing to see what a real winner looks like. You're going to miss. You're going to miss something. You're going to miss the Cards winning. I'm just telling you right now. Also says, 
What are your thoughts on Matt Jones taking a subtle shot at you on Twitter? Jones said, let's see, somebody tweeted, local U of L podcasts and radio shows all use the same Matt Jones blueprint to try to be successful in this market. And Jones says, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, they say. Well, that's more the U of L guy taking a shot at the Louisville shows. I also don't think that that's about me. I mean, Matt has like five co-hosts. I've got no co-hosts. Matt and I have never really done anything similarly besides get started at kind of the same time. I don't think that that's about me. And if it is, that's fine. I don't really care. I don't think that there's much. We don't. We definitely have never been accused of doing things the same way before. So who knows? Uh, Texas, didn't the left-handed quarterback from Virginia transfer to NC State? He did. Brennan Armstrong is headed to NC State. Devin Leary from NC State is headed to Kentucky. So... Lot of, again, it's the most incestuous conference in America. The ACC refuses to get out. Like one coach will go. Like Robert and I has been at three different ACC schools in three years as a coach. All the, the quarterbacks have to transfer to other ACC schools. We just we got to do it. We, we got to do it. Texas says, "What's going on here? Swaggy belt with moss. I don't even. What? What is this? Biggest risk taker in fashion icon, President Schatzel, Schatzel or Russell Westbrook. I don't know what's." It, it's not a good visual that doesn't work well for radio. The picture that was sent in is definitely uh, a swaggy belt, as the description says. Uh, Texture says, oh, there's a roll call tweet. It's, it's, that's fine. I'm assuming there's some data out there that shows how we rank in PNR defense nationally, pick and roll defense, probably on synergy or something. would love to see where we fall there. Probably a better way to do it than the eye test. Yeah, you, you, get, you guys are winning games. I, don't, I can't make fun of KS, uh, KRC anymore because they're, actually, they're winning too much. I watched a little bit of Kentucky Ole Miss last night in the first half. They weren't playing well. It sounded like they... They got better in the second half, which was a game that they could ill afford to lose because Ole Miss is not good. Speaking of programs that are about to fire their head coach, Kermit Davis on the way out, um, which sucks because I think he's a good coach. I think it's just a, a tough place to win. But props to UK. They got it rolling a little bit. They're, uh, they're going. Texas says, what about the theater lighting in the yum? It's not a gloriously lit arena. I don't There's There's no... The only arenas that are, I feel like are bright enough, for whatever reason, are the ones in Central and South Florida. Like FIU and FAU, watch their games. They're so bright. And it, the court seems seems great. It's, it's just, I don't know. I don't know why more more college basketball programs don't do that with their arenas, but we definitely have the, uh, the theater lighting going. All right, tonight, Louisville-Georgia Tech, 7 o'clock, official prediction time. I feel like saying I feel good about this is too strong. I think they're going to win. I've got no idea. I, I base this on Georgia Tech being awful and playing as, wor- as as poorly as they have all season long going into this game. I think that they've kind of quit on this season. I don't think they're responding to Josh Pastner, who they know is going to be gone. Also, we've dominated Georgia Tech. We've, we have, we've lost to them one time since 1997. We're 10-1 against them since joining the ACC. I mean, hell, we beat them twice last year when we were, were not good at all. I, I think Louisville has been more engaged than Tech has in recent weeks. Plus, I think the home crowd tonight, it's not going to be big. It's going to look bad on TV. But the home fans who are showing up to games are still very supportive. They get loud. That will be a thing that can spur this team to victory. Hopefully the energy is is good as good on the floor as it is off it. Cards win tonight. It's not going to be pretty. Georgia Tech is like Boston College. They want to slow things down, play a half-court game, win with defense, muddy it up a little bit. I think Louisville wins. I'm going to say 76-72. It's gross. But it's a victory. We're celebrating tomorrow. Even if we're not, we'll be here. Enjoy the game. 970 WGTK has got you covered from now until tip-off. Go Cards. Did you, get a, did you get a Trevor update? 
I've not gotten a Trevor update yet. Okay. We will have a Trevor update for you hopefully tomorrow. Hopefully he'll be back in the saddle. If so, if I hear something, I will certainly let the people know. Go Cards, beat Georgia Tech. We'll see you guys tomorrow right back here at 3 o'clock.